Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. Hope everyone's having a wonderful uh, Thursday. Thursday. It's Thursday. Are you? Are they not working? You got, you, you're doing all right over there? AJ's having a... I put on backwards. It felt funny. AJ put his headphones on backwards, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. It's Thursday, guys. We're almost at the weekend. Like, it doesn't matter to me. I'm working Friday through Monday, so I don't get... I don't get shit. <laughs> Dude, I've had this, this like, nine or ten day stretch. I, I will have two days off, and the rest of the days I'm working 12. So. I have a three-day weekend. Bro, Monday off. when you got six kids to support... You got, you got to do what you got to do, dude. You know what I mean? You got to put in, you got to put in the extra hours when they ask you to, and uh, that's just how it works. Because that's like extra food. It's you know like a fuller time job. It's a, fuller, it is a fuller, fuller time job <laughs> for sure. Absolutely, guys. We got a great show for you tonight. I'm very, very, very excited uh, for this show, of course. Uh, but before we get too far into it, let's talk about some sponsors. Of course, we got TopLobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend, my good friend and partner on Break the Cycle, where you get this great. Dr. Ron Paul for Congress shirt that you see me wearing tonight by using BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Or you can join the Patreon, subscribe star, become a member of our YouTube channel under all of our videos by hitting the join link where you can get into a private Discord server. When Top drops new gear, I think he's going through some stuff right now, but he's getting there. Uh, when he drops new gear, you can get that at a 30% discount two weeks before it goes to the general public. So if Top's putting out new gear, you're buying Top's new gear, you're supporting us for like five or 10 bucks a month, you're actually saving money and supporting us both. It's a win-win for everybody. So go check him out. Uh, check us out. Do what you can. And of course, executive producer of the show, AnthemPlanning.com for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check them out today. See what they can do for your business, home, or personal life. They're doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at much cheaper and much more efficiently. They help uh, organizations solve unsolvable problems in the technology and HR arenas. Uh, their team leads by example. Anthem, Fultons, Anthem consultants have led their own organizations through demanding periods of change. Now they help clients succeed in the face of technology and personnel issues. And they're great. Amy's amazing. Amy is amazing. We're going to have her back on the show soon, too. I'm, I'm getting ready get that booked i'm very excited i hope everyone's having a good time i'm i'm happy i'm happy to be here i uh, i know that it's been a tumultuous time in our our movement over the last couple weeks um as you guys know there was this rally called the rage against the war machine rally um that has been has been planned for some time there was a lot of uh drama involved in the organization of it of course i i was not free of the drama myself. I had my own issues with it. Um, and I've said a lot of things publicly. Uh, and some of those things mean a lot to me. I said, I, you know, I said things that are serious that I believe in, uh, that, that had principality issues. Of course, the other day, uh, my good friend, Scott Horton, uh, gave me a call and, and set me straight on some things. Um, you know, and, and I, and I conceded because, well, one, it's Scott, uh, two, he's right. And he's smart. Um, and we do need an anti-war movement in this, in this country. I think that's a very important thing. Um, as I've said the other night, I still <laughs> refuse to, to unite with the, the people who, um, would put me up against the wall if given the chance, you know? Um, and, and I've had that argument on the show. I've had that argument in Twitter. Um, and, uh, but I wanted to, I wanted to have, um, one of the greatest men in our movement. He's certainly on my uh, libertarian Mount Rushmore, I think as far as my, you know, I came to this movement through the anti-war sentiment. I mean, I got out of the military. I, I needed this. I needed a movement that was anti-war because I saw the, the, the ills and the dangers of, of war, of our foreign policy. Um, so I found Scott 
a long time ago now. He's written gr- uh, amazing books uh, that that are like a Rolodex for uh, all of the stuff that has gone down in the Middle East over the last several decades. Uh, he is the editorial director of antiwar.com and the director of the Libertarian Institute, Mr. Scott Horton. Sir, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys? I hey, man, I can't complain. I'm, I'm just happy you're here. You know, you know, listen, we've had our arguments before. Okay. We are, we argued on our, on my show about Nick Sarwark being a fed once and, oh, and, yeah. and it got heated and it got heated, guy, not fed. Uh, but I want to, I want to preface this whole conversation with Scott Horton has done more for my cause, the cause that I care about the most than anybody I can name humanly possible currently. Um, and I am always going to be indebted to you for that. And I'm always going to be a fan of yours for that. Even if we don't agree on things once in a while. Very, yeah, very rarely. Well, first of all, thank you. I don't know if I really deserve that, but of course we can disagree on some things, but not after I'm done talking, only before. <laughs> right, right. No, and you know, they're taking this attitude into conversations. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny because I, you know, you have changed my mind on a ton of things. Of course, your books, I think, have changed a ton of minds around the world. Um, I, I haven't had the chance to tell you this, but I have a, a gentleman that I work with uh, who's from Iraq. And um, he uh, was an interpreter during the wars yeah. for, and he, that's how he got his, his, uh, his green card to come over here and work. He's a great guy, good family man, worked very hard. Um, and uh, he, me and him have gotten into it, not into it like as far as arguments, but about the Iraq war specifically um, as somebody who served in Operation Iraqi Freedom, right? Um, we we kind of had this discussion about this stuff and I actually got him to start reading Scott's books but on YouTube, because you can li- you can listen to them in sections on YouTube, and he's like, "Man, this is great. This is absolutely true. Oh, this is true." It's like, "Yeah, dude, it's great." I like hearing that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, mean, um, I interviewed um, the other day um, this great guy. You might know him. He's uh, used to write for LouRockwell.com uh, back when. I'm not sure if he still does, but his name is Bill Bupert, and he was um, taught special warfare, uh, irregular warfare school for the uh, you know special forces and this and that. I can't keep it all straight, but um, he he does this great podcast called Chasing Ghosts, criticizing counterinsurgency theory and all this stuff. And I interviewed him the other day, and he said that at least among the dissenters in the special operations community, that they pass around enough already and fools errand. So that's pretty cool. That is really cool, man. I think, you know, when it comes to the knowledge, and you, you say you can't keep it straight, but let's be honest here, dude. Like, like as far as knowledge goes of the wars in the Middle East, I don't even think that some of the admirals and generals that have been a part of these wars know as much as Scott does when it comes to stuff. And that's well, probably the truth. That. I don't, I'm not sure if that's a mark of my intelligence and, and dedication or their you know lack of it, but I, I'm sure that that's true in a way. Sure. You know, um, Chalmers Johnson used to say that, you know, he did, um, he was a contractor for the CIA, but he said he worked on, uh, the early bird, which is the newspaper that the CIA writes for the principals every morning, the president, the vice president, secretary of defense, and head of the CIA and whoever get this, you know, top secret newspaper every morning. And he said, Oh, I'd rather read antiwar.com. You get a way better brief on what's going on in the world <laughs> from the CIA. Mm-hmm. No question, hands down. And, and I'm really proud of that. Although I don't take credit for that. I mean, that's really Dave DeCamp and Eric Garris um, and Jason Ditz. And uh, Kyle Anzalone are doing the hard work there every day, but that's the truth. 
That's wild, man. That's wild to think. And I've had this conversation on the show before how, you know, the, the people at the Pentagon, a lot of the times they get their marching orders from the journalists on the Hill. I mean, it's literally, they'll take that and then run with it. Like whatever the journalists are saying. And that's crazy to think about, dude. Like really yeah. crazy. Um, so Scott, tell me about Rage Against the War Machine. I want to know, uh, you know, what it meant to you, uh, how the atmosphere was, why it was important. And, you know, we could go over some of my gripes that I had with it and you can yeah. set me straight in front of all these people. And, and, uh, let's, let's talk about, but I want to know what it meant to you and how, how the, the vibe was and, and, and what it was like. Yeah. Well, look, Ron Paul headline, and that speaks for the whole thing. I mean, it was just fantastic. And if you'd been there, you'd have loved it. I mean, honestly, man, the worst thing about it, I swear to God, the worst thing about it is my hairline. <laughs> it, it, really, it really is bad. And especially like the far away shots, like, oh my God. And I always had a big forehead, you know, um, uh, got a whole, all this uh, footnote somehow. But, um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's getting really bad. And from far away, it's really bad. Like there's the shine. It goes all the way back, like halfway back. My head is, you know. Do you think at some perfect. point you'll Bruce Willis it or what? Uh, you know, I was thinking because it is better that I got the uh, George Carlin, you know, or the Richard Nixon rather than the John Luke Picard, you know, or, or uh, Robbie the Fireball in the middle first, you know. Oh, we're gonna send oh, that. Uh, we're gonna clip that and send that to Robbie the Fire. Yeah, sure. I, got, I got, I got, I got, you know, a little. I'm hanging on for dear life, but no, it's humiliating and terrible. Um. But no, other than that, honestly, the thing was great. And, you know, there were a couple of people who had said some stupid things in the past about their politics or whatever. And then the idea was, oh, no, are they going to say something cringy up there? And as far as I know, and I didn't listen to every word out of every speaker's mouth, but as far as I know, nobody said anything stupid, anything pro-Russian, anything, you know, whatever. I heard David Swanson say, you know, and the climate is very important, too. Fine. Great. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care. Um, you know, that was that was the spirit of the thing. So. Um, and then, it, you know, it was Max Blumenthal and Jill Stein, who had been the Green Party candidate. Um, and then, you know, headline. Oh, and, and there, there was like two dozen speakers. So Gerald Salente and Dan McKnight from Bring Our Troops Home, myself yeah, and Dan McAdams and Ron Paul. And I hope I'm not leaving anyone out. We're representing for the Libertarians. Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, well, Gabbard's not a Libertarian. No, but, no, no. No, no, no. What, but, what uh, and mean? then there were a bunch of leftists, bunch of bunch of leftists and you know, there were some people who were, you know, there's this guy named Wyatt who works for Sputnik. Like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have invited him, but he seemed like a nice kid. I shook his hand. He said he's a big fan of my show and whatever. He seemed like a nice kid. As far as I know, he didn't say anything wrong up there or whatever. So, you know, people get upset about, you know, when they're looking to get upset about things. But if you'd been there, the spirit of thing was fantastic. There's, you know, I, I guess probably 2,000 people there in, you know, in front and in back. There's, you know, at the end of the thing, the crescendo or whatever the buildup was uh, Kucinich and Gabbard and Paul. And, you know, um, the thing started with Max Blumenthal gave a barn burner to get everybody going for the thing. And, you know, I'm a big fan of his for a long time, even back when he hated libertarians and thought we were to the right of Dick Cheney or some kind of thing, whatever. I just stayed at him. Like, I don't care. I love you, pal. Cause he kept doing good journalism on, on Israel, Palestine, and all kinds of things that are important to me. So I just kept interviewing him anyway, and he finally got the idea that actually these libertarians are sincere and good on things. And you should have heard him on my show when I interviewed him. And then also he was um, interviewed by Aaron Monte on Jimmy Dore's show the other day, or yesterday or today maybe. It's on my Twitter right now. I guess it might be today's show. And, and he's just praising Ron Paul, the dedication of this man, 87 years old, get out there and fight for peace and 
And how could anybody not if he's willing to do that and whatever, you know what I mean? Like really sure. giving respect to our guy. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, Jill Stein was great. And so then as far as like the marginal stuff, somebody invited a LaRouche. And I don't like them. They're basically like a Heaven's Gate cult or maybe like Dianetics or um, the Mujahideen cult. <laughs> and we're like, you know, they worship this guy. He's been dead for 25 years, but they're still taking orders from his wife. You know, it's um, LaRouche has been dead for like 10 years and they're very culty. They're, you know what they are? They're like, um, they're like Democrat truthers. And, and, you know, I don't know. I've heard this. I can't prove this, but I'll go ahead and rumor monger it because screw them anyway. I never did like them. That uh, I, I've been told that LaRouche was almost certainly a CIA agent who was sent like a Trotskyite to be a wrecker among all the different left wing groups back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago or whatever it was, uh, which is totally believable to me. You know, they get into, oh, the Queen of England rules the whole heroin trade around the world or whatever, like it's 150 years ago and all this crap, you know. That's how I feel about one of the other speakers there, too, uh, yeah. Jack Jackson Hinkle, so. Okay, we'll see. We'll get into that in just one second, but just on this real quick, as far as I know, the actual LaRouche speaker, her name is Diane Sayre, she's a nice lady, and, you know, I don't know enough about her to, like, really condemn her as a culty person. I just don't like that organization, and as far as I understand, her speech was fine. She didn't say anything really objectionable in it at all. I heard her talking about condemning Harry Truman for nuke in Nagasaki. Sounds like my kind of lady, you know? <laughs> um, we all got to start somewhere, and... um. And so anyway, the whole thing was, and, and we'll get back to the Hinkle thing if you want, or I guess I'll say about Hinkle. I really don't know anything about the guy. I heard he said a lot of horrible, stupid things about how much he loves Russia's side of the war or whatever, but, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's I wouldn't the have Z him. He's the Z guy. I, I don't believe, as far as I know, he didn't say anything horrible in his speech. You know, I don't know what he, exactly he said, but nobody went, oh, what a cringe moment because of him or whatever. He just got up there and he colored within the lines. And, and I, then I have a good saying. I, I like to say that Jackson Hinkle is the left's Milo Yiannopoulos, but half as smart and twice as gay. That's that's pretty bad. <laughs> but, you know, I got to say, like, I don't care. You know what I mean? I'm, uh, it, frankly, like, there are obviously limits. Um, if, if you had people who were really up there, you know, and their speech is about, like, oh, no, we need – uh, revolutionary communist state in America and a bunch of crap like that would have been bad but nobody even did that you know like 20 years ago at the at the Iraq protests they got up there and they talk about Mumi Abu-Jamal for 25 minutes or whatever this guy who supposedly I don't know killed a cop in Philadelphia and is on death row and and it's like yeah look I know you guys are dedicated to Mumia but nobody else knows what you're talking about this whole Black Panther and we're here to try to stop the Iraq war you know but it was still like what are you gonna do not go I would have gone. And, and frankly, like, I think this is the litmus test, Josh, is 20 years ago, uh, should the Libertarian Party have teamed up with the Answer Coalition to participate in all of those rallies around the country on February the 15th and March the 15th, 2003, to try to stop Iraq War II? Damn right they should have. And, and they'll never, the people who are in charge of the party then, they'll never live down that cowardice. There's no other explanation, right? Harry Brown said... This is Bill Clinton and America's fault for picking this fight on September 11th. Half the party ran to George W. Bush. And then the party leadership, instead of saying, well, screw you guys, we're sticking with Harry Brown. They ran and hid. And condemned. And they I think they even condemned state. Harry Brown at some point. I'm know, sorry? I think they even like uh, condemned Harry Brown at some point, like like actually put out a censure. I'm not or certain of that. 
if you say so, but they certainly did not show up when we needed them. And frankly, like the Patriot movement on the right, the militia guys and all those guys, almost all of them, Vietnam veterans and, you know, proud, like populist, right, you know, 90s era MAGA guys, you know, or early 2000s MAGA guys, they should have been all out there marching. Instead, you know, they're chasing their 9-11 truth or crap instead of just saying, look, it wasn't Saddam, it was Osama. Right. And then and getting out there in their camouflage and with their red, white and blue flags and marching with the leftists and then making that the point. That's right. We're right wing conservative Vietnam War veteran Christian Republicans who know better than to believe W. Bush when he's trying to make us think Saddam is in bed with Osama. That ain't true. And we all know better because we're national security types and we know things like that. And that's where they should have been. That's where the Libertarian Party should have been. Look at us, a bunch of upper middle class white guys marching with a bunch of commies because they're right about this. George W. Bush and Dick Cheney and Richard Pearl, they're lying us into war. We got to stop it. And then what do they do? Everybody say, no, no, I don't want to get icky. I don't want to get a socialist's like cooties on me for them being socialist. But like, man, the Austin hippies of that march, 20,000 people or something. 30,000 people, February 15th and March 15th, 2003. I marched with all those hippies and it didn't do anything bad to me, right? Like I'd been on the radio with those guys. I, I was on free radio Austin with a bunch of leftists. They didn't get cooties on me. I taught them a thing or two and they taught me a thing or two and it was fine. You know what I mean? So, um, and, and if more people have been willing to say like, I don't care who you're trying to associate me with, we have to do this. And look at the protests that helped end the Vietnam War. People said, look, you guys are Maoists and you guys are trots and you guys are this and you guys are that and you guys are veterans and you guys are nuns and you guys are these other groups. Let's all march together this Sunday, right? Let's, we have to do this. We have to accept each other's differences. The fact of the matter is there's a war on and it's a real emergency. This isn't a matter of like whatever stupid policy preference that we wouldn't even care about. This is like of the absolute utmost importance. And the fact that, you know, really, so one of the lessons to me of the thing is look how difficult it is to hold together left-wingers and libertarians. You got libertarians squealing about it. You got the leftists are freaking out. All the Trotskyites are, you know, on a jihad against the thing. Max Blumenthal and those guys are like heroically holding off their left-wing sectarian critics who are going after them for working with us. Well, we got people on the libertarian side saying, oh, no, you're getting left wing cooties for hanging out with these left wingers. But meanwhile, to me, I'm already on the next stage. I want to do the next rally with right wingers and we'll call it the America first rally. And we'll, you know, do and we'll have Ron Paul headline and we'll do the same thing again. We can't bring the left and the right together, but we can bring the libertarians together with the left and we can bring the libertarians together with the right and we can help to set the agenda. We don't have the numbers, we don't have the power, but we're the ones who are right about everything. And so, you know, in fact, speaking of Max Blumenthal, he has this lovely wife named uh, Ananya, I'm, I'm so sorry I'm saying your name wrong, lady, um, Ananya Parampil, um, and, and she's a leftist like Blumenthal. And in her speech, she says, you know, we can fight about all these trans bathrooms and things later. This is nuclear war. All this culture war, leftist, sectarian stuff. You're trying to say we shouldn't do anti-war stuff because there are people who disagree with us on cultural issues here. Forget that. This is more important, right? And so, like, you know, one message from that, right, is 
she's right about that, right? And it's the importance of this. I can't say what her opinion was about trans issues yesterday, but presumably she's on the left on those issues. But she's just saying, let's move away from the culture war and let's move toward what's important. So I, I wouldn't, you know, presume to ask her to stop being a leftist and start being a libertarian, agree with me about everything. What's the use in that? And what I need is a left that's as less worse as possible, right? I want a left that's less obsessed with trying to sexualize children and more obsessed with stopping bank bailouts and stopping foreign wars, right? And, and the same thing with the right wing. The right wing, you guys might have seen, saw Donald Trump put out a me two messages. Was it yesterday or the day before yesterday? Oh, it was Donald yesterday. Donald Trump put out this message yeah. that was awesome. I could have written it about the, the military, industrial, national security state, and the CIA and all this stuff. It was wonderful. Like, I want to get that block quote in type. It's amazing. Right. The same day he put out this thing about how we're going to the federal government's going to crack down on local crime yeah. and it's going to be all this authoritarian stuff. So that's what you get with the American right. There's there's some anti-government sentiment there, even anti-war, anti-imperial sentiment there, anti-national security establishment sentiment there. There's also crack skulls and ban guns first and ask questions later and all that kind of sentiment on the right, too. So as gardeners, which do we cultivate? We can't make them just like us on everything, but we can tell them, you know, man, it'd be a lot easier to solve these other problems if we could stop with the foreign interventionism first. A trillion dollars a year blown on foreign empire, on projects nobody believes in anymore, and all those things, and just get them singing from our hymnal. Same thing with the left. And we can try at the same time to try to recruit as many new libertarians as we possibly can into our movement try to make America overall a more libertarian place. But at the very least, just tell them, look, man, I'm not asking you to change who you are. I'm just asking you to agree with us. And in fact, I'll even, um, uh, I'll criticize your use of the word, uh, your use of the word unite here, because like in a way that doesn't really mean anything, right? It's like a category type of a thing. Sure. If, if we all coordinate with them to do a protest at the same time and place together, and you could call that uniting in a way, I don't know. But again, you're not really getting any cooties on you. And then, but like, so even what if we dumb it down? Like I'm saying, I understand. If you look at the, the amount of controversy that we even did this at all, um, it would be, think if we had invited Matt Gates or Mike Cernovich to come speak, the whole thing would have blown up, right? We're not going to be able to do that. We're going to have to do uh, one thing where we try to work with the leftists and one thing where, you know, another thing where we try to work with right wingers on the same thing. Oh, and in fact, I'm sorry, I'm off on this tangent, but, uh, oh, well, let me, let me just say, so that's not really, well, whatever you can call it uniting if you want, but like working in tandem with, um, uh, scheduling. How about that? Like let's schedule this, this, uh, March the 1st, which is, hang on. I got my thing here. Uh, March the 1st, which is coming up. It's, it's, uh, this coming Wednesday, um, there's a group of leftists who are doing a thing where. They're sending people to try to contact, especially Democrats, but it can be Republicans, to contact, contact members of the House and read them the Riot Act on Yemen. And this is so important, and there's really positive developments that the Saudis are talking directly with the Houthis now. No UN, no US, none of this ruling oh, council BS. This is like the most hopeful thing. I know you know about this, Chuck. The most hopeful progress in the Yemen war, but you know what would really help would be if the American Congress was telling the Saudis enough. We're tired of this and you're going to make a deal now or we don't have your back anymore. 
And and they feel that kind of pressure. You know, in, in 2019, they passed the War Powers Resolution. Trump vetoed it. But still, the crown prince of the UAE pulled his main army out and sent an ambassador straight to Tehran. You know, it has an effect. And this is how we can have an effect. And by the way, as long as I'm ranting about that today, Matt Gates, the MAGA America First Republican, introduced a war powers resolution on Syria to get our guys out of Syria and eat your heart out, Bernie Sanders. It's coming from a Republican. It's the war powers resolution. This is just like the, the greatness of the invention of bring our troops home and the defend the guard legislation by, you know, um, uh, 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 Dan McKnight, Michael Bolden, and, uh, you know, all the guys Mike who Mahari. are doing, the, yeah, doing this, you know, nullification of the empire from the bottom up through constitutional means. Um, it's, it's such a fantastic thing. And so to have Matt Gates and, and conservatives come and say, it's time to get the hell out of Syria. What are we doing in Syria? Assad can take what's left of ISIS there. Don't give me that crap. And, and anyway, never mind the tangent on Syria, but we can get out and, and, and what a great thing for the Libertarian Party to get behind immediately and to help support and help to push. And as long as we're doing the right thing, you know, um, I think that should speak for itself. And, and honestly, like whatever Twitter thinks, I was there, man. And that was the best thing that the Libertarian Party has done in my lifetime. I mean, Harry Brown ran for president, but that wasn't really the Libertarian Party, right? That was Harry Brown's campaign. Sure. And it was something else, man. It meant a hell of a lot to me. I guarantee you that. And a lot of other people too. But it's been since then. Man, I remember 2004, five, they put out a plan how to win the Iraq war. All you have to do first, step one, win the war. And step two, install this great constitutional republic limited form of free market government for the nice people there. That was the LP before. Right. He's talking about being embarrassed of the LP. That was the old LP. This is the new badass one. We're just getting started. The sky's the limit on the potential what we can do with this thing. And we are already simultaneously the biggest anti-war group in America, the biggest pro-gun group in America, the biggest anti-tax group in America, the biggest free Ross group in America, the biggest whatever you got, man. We have so much potential, 20, 30,000 people at the snap of a fingers. If we can coordinate and work together, um, the... And and also, and this goes back to the the question of the left and the right and, and working with others on single issues. I only have a negative program, right? I think as the Libertarian Party, like virtually everything we want to do is end things. We want to repeal the income tax. We want to stop the war and bring the troops home, right? We want to call a halt to the drug war. Uh, we'd like to see fair trials instead of unfair ones. There's a little proactivity there for you, but like, you see what I mean? So in other words, it, I, I'm, what I'm trying to say is I think it should be easier for us to work with other groups when we're not trying to foist our program on them of all the things that we want. We're just agreeing with them about the things that they're against and saying, yeah, we're also against that. Let's see if we can work together on that. And then because so much is wrong in our society, we have an endless list of things to try to stop. And I just want to start in, you know, order of worst first. And I am a completely anti-government guy. I got no use for him whatsoever. But at the same time, we got to, let's start with abandoning the world empire and just be a normal country of some kind. 
Then let's see if we can get to constitutional republic from there. National divorce and 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 full separation of powers all the way down, fine. But we gotta start somewhere. And and just briefly then on this issue, this is the most important issue in the world. I mean, in Yemen, hundreds of thousands have been killed, but if the war in Ukraine escalates over the next few months here, this really could lead to a major power conflict between NATO and Russia. That's not bullshit. I mean, you got whatever the wisest graybeards in the America are saying the same thing. It's like, well, even in the Biden administration, geez, we know that we're, we're turning up the heat slowly, but if we boil the frog too fast, he might nuke us. You know, that's how they're talking themselves. Um, that's the danger that they're playing with here. So I just think, you know, like, uh, oh, as, as I was saying on Twitter, if you knew that going to the protest could stop the war, you do that. I'd go, without a doubt. You know? yeah, no yeah. doubt. So it's worth it to try, man. We got to try. Yeah. You know, so that's that's my opening rant of the evening, guys. It was only 30 minutes, Scott. That was nothing. Yeah. That was Are great. You, it was great. I uh, No, it's, it's so, I, you know, I'm having a hard time. Obviously, I'm having a hard time with this. And I have been having a hard time with this for yeah. uh, several weeks now. Uh, of course, I resigned from the LNC. A lot of people think that I only resigned from the LNC because of this this issue. Yeah, There's way uh, way more you, deeper. You were talking about it with us. Yeah, I was talking about it long before Rage Against the War Machine. Yeah, yeah. And and there's other deeper reasons there that I don't need to get into on my show. I don't want to put names out there. All, all that stuff. I have I've dropped a couple of names that that made it very easy for me to leave. But it, you know, I don't want to get into all the other ins and outs, and all that stuff. But um, so, you know, my hard my hard time has been obviously I had a big problem with Scott Ritter at first. You know that, Scott. I actually reached out to you first before I even said anything about Scott Ritter. I reached reached out to Scott Horton because, you know, Scott Horton speaking at this event, he's his uh, you know, in my opinion, his reputation needs to always be bulletproof. Okay. Uh, because he's one of the greatest voices in our movement. It's important for me to know that his reputation is is bulletproof, right? I don't care as much about mine, but um, so so I reached out to Scott, and of course Scott made it clear that he doesn't really work with that guy anymore for a long time. It, it probably cooler words than I could say it, uh, and and so that was my first problem. Then I looked into the People's Party, and that was the for me. I was like, okay, look, these are the same people, in my opinion. Not in my opinion. I mean, these are the same people. Many of these people that are in this organization are the same people that want to take my kids from me, basically. You know what I mean? They want my kids to be owned by the state and and have to be, go to school for 14 hours a day and be able to cut their wieners off and not you know, tell me. I'm not me really and... sure that's true. You know, Angela told me, like, these guys are anti-vax, anti-lockdown, anti, you know, whatever conventional left-wing wokest dogma that's Love going around that. right now. They, you know. He seemed to think that they were, you know, had their act a lot better together than that. I admit, I don't know everything about the guy yeah. who held it. And there was a couple other organizations that had their name on the event, too, yeah. that I had my own issues with. Of course, anybody who's followed me for more than a year knows that I'm as anti-communist as they come. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to work with Marxists, especially because I think Marxism is a violent, uh, evil ideology that's killed to, you know, 100 million people in the 20th century. Uh, it's caused more death and chaos than the U.S. foreign policy over in the 20th century, which is a, a saying a lot. Oh, yeah. um, and and so for me, it's like it's like yeah. I don't know if it's really more. Uh, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's probably close. Yeah. Uh, so 20 million. Yeah, yeah. No, it's no, probably no, 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 you're right. American no, 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 Empire is probably more. Scott. points, right? It's probably more, <laughs> but it's close. Uh, but so so you know my I guess my the reason why I'm having such a uh, absolutely hard time for for one is they, these people to me have always been my enemies okay um and i feel like i'm losing a war in my own country to these people although but you know what let me ask you josh like isn't there a difference between the 
former Soviet dictatorship and like a commie protester in your town who has no actual power. Well, and sure. And I, and I want to talk about something. Well, and I want to you know, like, in other words, the real threat in America right now is the center left liberals, right? It's not really leftist or if it is leftist still, I think we should be trying to get them to be economic leftists rather than woke leftists. Sure. Well, I think, I think that, you know, where I, where I come from. So I've done so much studying on communism too, right? Like, especially American communism, but, but you guys know, I talk about it on the show all the time. I've watched every documentary I've read Kropotkin and Proudhon and, and, and Bookchin and Marx and I've read all these people. Right. And I know in my heart of hearts, and I've heard from these organizations themselves that their intention is to subvert through culture and by do to do that, they have to lie because they know, especially, and they have to lie and kill, right? When it comes to Christians, especially as we saw in the Soviet union, the Christians had to be killed. The Orthodox Christians had to be killed and excommunicated because their will was too strong to join this collectivist movement. Okay. And so for me, it's like, it's like, man, I've always just, you know, in, in my country, I'm at war with these people. I know they're trying to subvert my culture. I know they're trying to take, you know, everything from me. They're trying to centralize and, 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 uh, collectivize and, and take control of it. I'll never be able to own a business and all, you know what I mean? All this shit. And so it's so hard for me to, 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 to come from that like aspect of knowledge and, and knowing that what they're doing to my, my country and my culture and my people, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? That it's hard yeah, for me I don't to know. I just them. think you're using I think you're using they way too broadly. I mean, sure. look, to me to me having a county is communism, right? Like to to <laughs> uh, us libertarians, like we, we could be pretty strict about this kind of thing. Um but you know, listen, I think you know, basically the people there are burning types, right? They're socialists and they're you know, even the ones who are communists are like, what are they actually after? They're they're against something. They're trying to stop a war. You ask them what it is they want, they'll say Medicare for all or something. They're not talking about like we have to. <laughs> and and there and there there no there is nothing like some apparatus that they have to subvert a single state government. The worst thing that they can do is become elementary school teachers, right? Or or like pretty bad. It's a pretty bad thing for them to do. <laughs> yeah, they anchors, can become Alexandria you know. Ocasio Cortez. Yeah, that's yeah. It. I mean, yeah, but I mean, even then, she's just a legislator. I don't know, like, um. Well, I, I think just, what they do is they narcissistically weaponize compassion. Yeah, but see, who gives a shit? I mean, the power in America is a fascist state. It's the National Security Combine, the banks on Wall Street, the arms dealers, big agriculture and big pharma. These are these massive corporations that own and control or interlocked with the national government and all the bureaucracies. All this woke shit is some puppet show. You know, they tell you, oh, you're a sinner for being white. And then you spend all week going, I am not either. Like, who cares about that, dude? Can't you see that they're jerking your chain? Well, you, you as someone people, that works people for have no one power of those hating companies. each other instead of hating people who have power. As, so, as someone that works for one of those companies, I, I had a meeting today where I was literally told that it could affect my job status. Uh, if I didn't participate in DEI. What's DEI? Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's oh, essentially wokeness okay. 
as a commodity in business. Yeah, that's how you keep your ESG up, buddy. That's how you keep your that's how you keep your ESG up. Yeah, we so. went from look overthrow Goldman Sachs and Citigroup and Chase to look at all the rainbow flags at, at Goldman mm -hmm. Sachs and Citigroup and Chase. And, and I, I think that I think that came from that weaponized compassion. Sure. And look, you know, if you guys have ever read um, the old Rothbard article. Uh, confessions of a right-wing liberal have you ever read that yes where he says um he i've goes, read everything rothbard's ever read <laughs> okay well that's you're way ahead of me but okay so in this one he says look it's so funny i used to be a far right-wing extremist now i'm some kind of leftist but what's funny is i haven't moved one inch just the whole world's gone mad and he's writing this in like 1965 or something yeah and he's going yeah i'm pounding around with maoists we're trying to stop this genocide in Vietnam, this horrible invasion of Vietnam. We have to do anything we can to stop it, you know. But he says, um, you know, what happened was the old right, they weren't really conservatives. Like some of them were. Conservatism was kind of part of the right. But the right also kind of had these old classical liberals and libertarians and sort of H.L. Mencken types and Albert J. Nock and Garrett Garrett and some of these older more economic right-wingers, right? What they hated was bankers and wars, right? And so then what happened was after World War II, a lot of them had just gotten old and retired and died. There weren't really that many left of them. And the new right was really built up by William F. Buckley, who hired a bunch of ex-communists to write at the National Review because they were Trotskyites and they were Americans. And so they hated the Soviet Union. So they were like the reliable cold warrior types. And the kind of... Um, the older classical liberal kind of uh, uh, old right kind of faded away. So uh, Buckley comes in. This is Rothbard's complaint in the essay. Buckley comes in and says, no, we're pro-war, right? It's the Cold War against the Soviet Union. We don't hate bankers and war. We need bankers to finance wars. This is what we're all about now. This is what the right is all about now. And, and if you're upset about bankers and wars, then, oh, no, look. Blacks and homos and women, ooh, they're coming to change your culture, and and so all the right wingers said, oh well, never mind, you know we hate bankers and wars. Now we're in this terrible culture war against the civil rights movement of the fifties and sixties, and against feminism and against gay rights and all that at the dawn of that kind of era. And Rothbard is lamenting how this trick worked. See, all they did was just dangle this stupid culture war in front of you like a red flag in front of a bull and you go charging off, right? And we can see the exact same mirror image of that with the Occupy movement. And they, you know, they they tamed the Tea Party the same way at the same time. Is that, you know, they took the Occupy movement and they said, forget, you know, bankers and wars. What you guys care about is you are blacks and homos and women, right? It's these, uh, you know, disadvantaged groups that this is what is most important. And it's your enemy is not the one with all the wealth and all the power and all the status. Your enemy is your next door neighbor who's slightly different from you, right? And, you know, um, and so all you have at it. And then as as all they put all the woke stuff prominent, then of course you got the right wing reaction to that. You mentioned Milo and those guys, they were in the in the Obama years, they were like the first wave of the right wing reaction against all the woke stuff that diverted all the Tea Party stuff from more, you know, libertarians. Because CS libertarians, a lot of people don't know this. They think libertarians just want to let business run wild. We want to let them run wild right off a cliff if that's how they want to do business. 
And that was the libertarian reform of the Tea Party would have been let these banks fail. Let them learn the hard way. And we glory in their greed. Damn them. They're the ones who did this to us, of course, in combination with the Fed. But they did. They were the bank credit expansion that caused the boom, that caused the bust. And so all that got subsumed by pro culture war left stuff and then the right wing reaction to that. And like you can hear George Carlin laughing at us and like face palming in heaven that like you see they got you again. They're just jerking your chain again. And like, you you know, you live in a in a country full of people who ain't like you at, at some point. You got to um, you got to pick your battles and you got to figure out what's important. And I just think like, you know, honestly. I, you know, even the the actual Communist Party USA. Like in our era, the only thing that I know of them at all in the last in the last generation is that they sponsored the Answer Coalition. They were the ones who put on the biggest anti-war protests in America all across America 20 years ago. They did everything they could. They used that email list to get millions of people in the streets. And I don't know how they did it. Well, but I, I also want to I just want to be clear about they something didn't with that too. Bush and install a dictatorship. Bush was the one who installed the dictatorship. I know. But the, so the, the Communist Party of the US. The, so the answer coalition and the, and the Communist Party of US, uh, USA, they, they were are Marxist, straight up Marxist. And sure. and I want to be so I was in uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2000. But I'm saying they can bench press less than me, dude. There's so I, what do you I care? know. But I want to say that 20 years ago, they were still sort of in an era where they were laughed at as far as their communist beliefs. And when you talk about communism and this, this creep of communism and the way that they've handled things. And one of the reasons why you probably don't know much about the communist party of USA is because they're so into being subversive, subversive that they don't practice openly. It's all about moving the Overton window in politics, in schools, in big tech, in Hollywood, this is what it's about. And that's what, and now, so back then marching with them on an anti-war thing where they were, I want to be clear. The answer coalition was very, very anti-Iraq war. They weren't pro aside. They were very, very, very pro uh, anti-war in, in the middle East in general, I think, but the Iraq war, especially now the communist party is not anti-war. They're pro Soviet expansion right they're that's the motherland that's that's where you know they well, need i don't know crop. about that i mean if you say so i hadn't read their website but you know russia <laughs> is not a communist country anymore <laughs> vladimir putin is a right-wing republican essentially a christian conservative corporatist you know a sure. bush type uh hold on one second i got some i got some quick um uh super chats, super chats. love scott's knowledge thanks for all you both do. That's from Craig D. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Ezra Wyrick said $2 super chase. It's Scott's the man. Always good to hear him. Jacob Daniel from uh, Biblical Anarchy Podcast says, love you both. Okay. Glad these conversations are happening. Quest Fanning, my homie with the $10 super chat. Scott Horton is the man in the wars. And then we just got a $5 super chat from JC, a longtime viewer of the show. Thanks so much. He said, what does Scott think about the argument? I'm not anti-war. I'm just against bad wars. Okay, well, first of all, thank you to all those people who said nice things. Um, well, look, I mean, depending, if, if you're talking about that's the Obama quote, I think it was dumb wars, if that's what you're talking about. Um, well, look, I mean, he, he's de he was defining that still very vaguely, wasn't he? Right? He could have just said, I'm only for defensive wars or something like that. Yeah. But he, he wasn't going to go that far. Um, look, if... I, I'm even willing to be as expansionist as to say that, like, we should defend Canada if 
Russia invades to conquer Canada, we should help our friends. But that's just not in the cards. I mean, it's, it's completely ridiculous. Um, and, and frankly, like the Europeans can take care of themselves. The EU has a bigger economy than the United States. Why should we have to help them at all? France and Germany and Britain can take them. Why you know, don't they take care of themselves? Because we're suckers. Because they got yeah. us to do it. Exactly. Like, look, this is the trade-off of the, the American empire, right? Take Japan, for example. You guys don't militarize. We will keep our military in your southern islands there. And we will hold your foreign policy down for you. And in exchange, we'll keep our markets open at very low tariffs for your exports. And it's the same deal with Korea. It's the same deal that they were trying to really work with China. And that's essentially the form of the world government. America is the world army. And um, not that that really worked out, but <laughs> that's what they were going for there. Yeah. Um, and so that's the trade-off. This is the same thing in Europe is, look, Germany, you guys don't want to have a foreign policy. You know why? Because we don't want you to have a foreign policy. But don't worry. We'll have your foreign policy for you. But we'll keep it within your interests and it'll suit us both and it'll be fine. And that's, that's the status quo and necessarily going to hold forever. But I don't know why it should at all. You know, when, when the NATO alliance was founded, they said explicitly, and I really need to find these quotes for the book. Um, but they said, I think I might even have the quote from, from uh, Taft, uh, Robert Taft talking about this, that they said, look, if it was just the Russian empire in Eastern Europe, well, screw them. I mean, that's life, pal. Sorry. Right. But this is special. Gosh, this is communism. The ideology of world revolution and empire and dictatorship. And so it's not your ordinary emergency. We must have this cold war to contain them and prevent the spread of communism was, you know, the excuse there. Well, communism's dead and gone 30 years doesn't exist. The only real communist states in the world is Cuba and North Korea. There's not a single real genuine communist regime, you know, Marxist type regime anywhere. I know China has a big red flag still, but their, their economy is much more capitalist slash fascist than communist, although they still have a big welfare state. But you look what is, at what does CCP stand for, Scott? Well, look, I mean, what is, difference does that make? You know the history of China, that sure. Mao Zedong and his wife starved everybody to death, but then he died. And they brought Deng Xiaoping back. And Deng Xiaoping was, him and his friends were like the right wing of the Communist Party. And they came and said to get rich is glorious. And yes, you can have property and you can trade it now. And that was, you know, in the late 70s. And it took all the 80s for them to begin to get their act together. And then from 1990 to 2000, I don't know the statistics, I wish I knew, but they built Shanghai from this small town to a Houston-sized megalopolis in 10 years. And, and, and that was, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Um, you know, they built up the greatest, you know, we like to look at the satellite pictures of North Korea versus South Korea and how North Korea is still, you can get the updated, and people, you really should look at this. You can get the updated ones of these where North Korea is still shrouded in darkness. Just downtown Pyongyang is lit yeah. up at night and all of South Korea is lit up and all of Shanghai and all of China is lit up. And you look at it over the years. That's not Marxism. It's a one party dictatorship with a red flag. But it's what it really is, is it's American style crony capitalism, right? It's what about, what about the one child policy? Have they ended that in China? Yeah, it's been ended for a while. Okay. Yeah, what they did was. Uh, yeah, they increased like in the 2000s. They ended Probably it too late. Probably too late. late I mean, I'm not saying they're free. 
I'm just saying there's a, when Mao Zedong was in charge, he was trying to implement Marxism and people just laid down and died. You talk about all the people murdered by communism. I mean, the bulk of that is starved by Mao yeah. because he's going, you don't know how to farm. I'll tell you how to farm. And then what the hell does he know about it? And so he just ruined everything. Um, and, you know, had people melting down their farm implements so that they could claim that they had smelted steel in their new backyard steel furnaces that he mandate everybody try to build. But now they don't have any farm implements anymore. And right. then fields go bad and everything. You know, that was how he killed. He didn't just line up 40 million people and machine gun them to death. He starved him to death. But that's over. You know that that's over. Right. Wasn't you know, there so some stuff about like birds being like the enemy, some species of birds, and that also heavily contributed to the famine? I don't know. Um, I, don't know. I mean, who knows? Uh, maybe. I, I remember I mean, reading I something that, about that. This goes back to our discussion, though, about like the difference between some guys who really, really, really want Medicare for all and people who are actually communists. You know, and frankly, I think that the people who are like involved in all this weird sexual revolution right now, like if you want to trace that back to whatever commie professors at whatever school, whatever, I won't argue with you. I'm sure that's true. But I would argue that almost all that's coming from essentially center left liberal women, right, who are like, they don't have to read anything to parrot it and to go along with this stuff. They don't really know anything at all. They don't know the first thing about Marxism and the means of production and this and that. I mean, if you're saying they're just trying to subvert everything, fine. But that's, I don't know. There's always going to be, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, the dominant culture was the right-wing born-again Christians who were trying to outlaw heavy metal music and stuff. And we were all on the <laughs> side of you know, screw you and rebellion against that. I'm still so, on the side of metal. Of we the left wing communist transgenderites because we were for Metallica and Slayer and Anthrax being allowed to play their songs, you know, against those guys. Um, you know, I just think that, uh, look, like Jimmy Dore got up there. You know, what, what does Jimmy Dore want? Like kick that guy's ass and like force him to admit what he really, really wants. He wants Medicare for all. He's not saying he wants a, a dictatorship in Washington to create a free, evenly shared, whatever, communist manifesto garbage. And that's not what Jill Stein believes or Jeff, uh, Chris Hedges or, you know, th that's not what the rally was about. And in fact, I saw Max Blumenthal today um, when he was um, interviewed by Aaron Maté uh, filling in for Jimmy Dore. And he said that the two guys with the red communist flags they were there with that guy Heinbach. Is it Matt Heinbach? Matt, Matty Heinbach from the uh, National Socialist Workers Movement. He's a yeah. he's a he's a white he's a white supreme white nationalist. He'll tell you he's not a white supremacist. He's a white, white nationalist, nationalist. Uh, which I don't I don't really see the difference. But uh, tool, he, right, yeah, he's a, he's either a federal informant or he might as well be. No, he's way, he, way too fucking stupid he, to be a federal he, agent. He's well to be an informant. All you got to do yeah. is be facing time. Maybe, maybe an informant. You know? Yeah. But yeah, but um, look, he uh, clearly is just crashing a party and came there for himself. He didn't come there to support the movement. He came there because he knew that all the cameras would point at him in order to try to discredit the movement, which is good for him and screw the movement, you know? So, uh, you know, but why in the world should anybody have to give a damn about that? There's some stupid Nazi who, oh, no, now he, he's a former Nazi turned, now he's a commie. And he came with some red flags. And no, he, he was always a leftist, I think. At the back yeah. of the rally where people can't, you know, 
Like that had nothing to do with the rally. You understand? That had nothing to do with it. And I, I should say, as long as I'm rambling about the flags now, the thing about the Russian flag, when I got there, I told you this on the phone before, Josh, I take a little bit of responsibility for this because I did have a neuron that fired that said, oh, it's unfortunate that in the background is a guy with the Russian flag. And I didn't really think very hard about it. I, 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 if anything, what I thought was it's somebody else's job, right? Like I diffused the responsibility away, whatever. I could have walked right up to that guy and given it a shot. And I didn't do that. And I could have done that. Now, at the same time, I will admit, though, for my own defense, that I had no idea that everybody's going to be such a goddamn crybaby about this on Twitter later. Oh, boo-hoo. At the Lincoln Memorial in a public park, a guy at a rally that's open to the public is walking around with a flag. So what? Like, you have to pretend to be concerned about that. That's concern trolling. That's not actual concern. A guy with a, with a, a Russian flag. And then I talked to that guy later after we marched to the White House. He came up to talk to me. And you know why he's got a Russian flag? Because he's from Russia. And he asked me, I, there's no indication that he was a pro-Putin, pro-war guy. His question to me was, hey, given that the stakes are so high and the positions of each side are so divided, how do you think? You said there should be a peace, a ceasefire and peace now, but like, on what basis do you think that a peace deal could be achieved? He asked me that like as a genuine question. He wasn't like taunting me like, oh yeah, right, or something like that. He was saying like, what's your great idea for how this could possibly be wound down now after we're this far into the damn problem, right? So in other words, he was an anti-war guy too. He was just from Russia. He's waving a flag because he's a Russian with very bad public relations. Horrible. You know? Fucking horrible, Scott. It's, I, yeah, I, we were talking about the optics on that. That was the, the discussion we had last show. Scott, that was my point. In- that was my point, was that there's Russian people that are against this war, and it doesn't mean they're pro-Putin. It means they're Russian, and they don't want to see this shit happen. It just they made us look so... It made us look so bullshit to be, pretend to be concerned it about It made that. us look stupid, though, Scott. It did. Look, because people were already... Listen, people were already... The, the problem is, is that, that people are always going to believe what they see, right? And we already are getting this this that we're pro-russian sentiment thing going on right and then we do this anti-war movement yeah, that everyone 20 years ago and yeah. said you're close to dumb i know it's just it's it's you know. bad it was it was a such bad, bad optics. optics because it made us look I, like we're I, liars I and we're that. stupid and that was and and i and i don't give a shit about the fucking flags dude like i don't care at all like it doesn't bother me personally the flags i don't know somebody said on my twitter today that my remarks about the flags seemed like they were fake but i don't remember saying anything about the flags i didn't give a shit about the flags like flags don't bother me at all but i do know that the optics of it made us look fucking stupid it made us look like we were liars like we are pro-russia you know what i mean they did not no that's such bullshit it's a fucking public park josh it's a lincoln goddamn memorial on a sunday you're 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 walks by in the background with a flag doesn't mean a fucking thing unless you're just trying to but you're you're treating 90 percent of the population of this country like they're intelligent like they're intelligent that's also dude i think that's bullshit man nobody there thought it mattered no nobody there was like oh no a russian flag they went and put had a guy with an american flag try to stand in front of him and block it but nobody thought like oh man somebody should go and kick that guy's ass and drag him out of here this is an emergency because it was just the guy with a flag 
What is a flag? It doesn't mean anything. You know, I saw a thing today. You know who agrees with you about this the most is Rachel Maddow. You're no, here. No, no. no, we do not agree. We do not agree on this. Oh, boo hoo. Your sure flag makes you look so bad. She cried. And then I can't find it. I retweeted. Where the hell you is did it retweet on my it. No, no. Rachel Maddow was like, these people are pro Russian. And and that, that was yes. my problem because, okay, so. so the, Joe Howe shared that. I what, I, what I compared it to was 2016, the National Convention for the Libertarian Party in 2016. Do you remember that, Scott? Did you go there? No, yeah. wait, but hang on. Hang on. I want to play this audio for you. This okay. is a guy. This is a guy. He goes, This is, I love this shit. He goes, Oh, look, I found, um, I found, oh, I don't have to turn this up like that. He goes, He goes, Look, I found uh, some footage of Rachel Maddow covering the Iraq war protests on MSNBC in 2003. Here, it's just half a minute. A rally in support of Iraq, I guess. Saddam Hussein, judging by all the Iraqi flags in the audience, this is a Pro Saddam Hussein rally. Oh my God, you guys! It's so random. Look at all the Iraqi flags. It must be a pro Saddam rally. Look at all these pro Saddam people waving flags. It's pretty fucking funny. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, exactly. Who was that? There's some gay guy doing a Rachel Maddow impression. Right? That's so funny. Yeah, exactly. And so, right, the answer to that is like, go fuck yourself. Fuck you. Some guy brought an Iraqi flag to a don't attack Iraq protest. Iraq protest. And you want to sit there and concern troll and pretend to be concerned about that? It's stupid, my dude. Concern, I'm sorry. No, my my concern that betrays this weakness on the mind of the people. Scott, my you concern, know, pretending to be upset about my that. My concern was I equated it to the 2016 national convention. Okay, where C-SPAN was there. It was when Gary Johnson got nominated to be the the the, the candidate for the party. And it first of all, it was shared a space with a fucking comic con. Okay, so it, it was like perfect timing, right? Yeah. But they did so much dumb shit at that national convention in front of C-SPAN. Uh, James James Weeks stripped oh, on stage. Legendary. Uh, the oh, lady, the yeah. lady, the lady made the official motion to make Dobby the house elf the fucking uh, official mascot of the Libertarian oh. Party. I mean, it was just all this dumb shit. And and the next day, the next day, the, the toast next day your own toaster comes from the next day. Comedy Central was running it. Fucking all these news organizations were running oh, look, it and making deep. us look like fucking idiots, dude. Yeah, and so look, that was my concern. That, yeah, but that look, a guy in the background at a public event with a flag is not the same sure. thing as some big fat idiot dancing on stage inside. You hear that, James? Event. Big fat idiot. Yeah, Sorry, go, go ahead. Hey, go, <laughs> go talk to somebody at a Trump rally when they have the uh, Nazi flags. Right. Yeah. And look, also, I mean, the thing is, they're they going to do that to you no matter yeah, what. Like, care. Remember Howard Dean goes... Don't worry, guys. We'll do better next time. Yeah. And then they replayed him, and it was like a funny-sounding yeah. And then they replayed him doing the funny-sounding yeah 175,000 times until he oh, dropped that out. Ended, that ended him. You know? That, yeah, that end ended him, dude. Entirely. Like, they're, he they're goes, always yeah. going to do that. But like, yeah. I'm not worried about that. And frankly, you know, no, I'm not pro-Ritter for the record. I'm not pro-Ritter. I had nothing to do with him being uninvited. I know there are rumors around saying that I intervened there. And There's rumors that you and I had him removed, but, yeah. And, yeah, and look. Um, but you I bullies. wouldn't have invited him. Um, but I would have spoke if he if he had insisted on doing the event anyway. I would have still gone because you know what that sucks. But the event was still way too important. And I think that's the thing that you're missing, Josh, is how important this war is, and that you know we begin to build a movement that because after all, I, I you know how it works. The entire power elite is in consensus on this. The only way to stop it is. If they know that uh, uh, out there in the country, people are really pissed about this and they keep every time we go home, they say we want 
to stop wasting money and risking war with Russia in Ukraine. We want to worry about, you know, fixing railroad tracks and cardboard boxes for the homeless people that the Fed kicked out of their house and the rest of this, right? And and just, that was a joke, the cardboard boxes, but that we need to worry about our own country and, and enough of this, but we gotta start somewhere. We have to build this movement. Sure. And it's true that, look, yes, if, if, if we have an America first rally with right wingers, that obviously we got to draw the line. We don't want to have people with swastikas marching around like the unite the right rally. We want to unite everybody left of the racialists on the right, if we possibly can, against this war. You know, everybody between the W. Bushes in the middle, of which there are very many, you know, the Republican establishment think tank types. I mean, you can read their stuff everywhere, how pro-war they are. You know, the, the Republicans in the House. Um, uh, what's that guy, uh, McCall from Texas, continually attacking Biden for not doing enough. I mean, we have to build this movement. And so, yes, it, oh, I'm sorry, it's it's true that if you if you bring people too far to the right to your rally, it's going to taint your rally. You bring people too far to the left to your rally, it's going to taint your rally. But all I'm saying here is that, like, you got me on Hinkle, I guess. But otherwise, there were no real communists up there, man. And the flags were brought by some Nazi provocateur. The red flags were brought by some Nazi provocateur. That doesn't count. The Russian flag was bought by some Russian who somebody, including me, I admit, should have asked him very politely to not do that. And I think maybe just through diffusion of responsibility, maybe nobody really even did try. Um, maybe they did. I don't know. Um, I, I know that they did decide to try to, like, drown him out with other signs in front of him and stuff like that as best they could. But um, there was some kind of apology for those flags but, issued on yeah, Twitter. Or something, yes, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there was a group, I guess they had donated. I thought they didn't have anything to do. I guess they had donated the thing, but they did not coordinate the rally. None of their members spoke. I don't know what the group is called. It's a small pro-Russian, avowedly pro-Russian group in D.C. I don't know if they're Russian nationals or not. Um, but they said, essentially, we're sorry for crashing your party. They said, you know, we did not mean for our Russian flags. Dear organizers of the Rage Against the War Machine protest, we did not mean to um, inflict uh, our politics unnecessarily onto your event. Something like that. I'm sorry, they didn't say inflict, but it was something very close to that. Impose. We did not mean to impose our politics on your event. So they really were apologizing for crashing our party, cringing that, like, oops, you know, we, we've proud, you, you we're waving that. our flag, but we didn't really think that this is not what these people want to be in the background of their video later. Oops, you know, because people are dumb, dude. People make mistakes. That's all it was. And I just refuse to concede that that costs the rally one iota of credibility whatsoever. And the sure. thing was fantastic, man. And if you'd have been there, you'd have been shaking hands with Joe Loria like me going, hell yeah, man, Joe Loria. This is awesome. Hope I'd be trying to finally get a picture with Ron Paul is what I'd be doing because I've hung out go. with Ron Paul. I don't know how many times now. I've never ever once asked for on for a picture. I don't know why the fuck I have it. But I got I a couple. I didn't get. I didn't get any this time. I, in fact, I I really didn't get. I, there was a bunch of pictures I could have gotten with a lot of people. I didn't do that this time. Um, I've done that so many times. You know, Scott. I went what forty eight states over the last six years or something like that. And yeah. I've met all these all these wonderful people. I I think I just finally got my first real picture with Scott Horton at Porkfest this last year. Oh, really? That's true. And I've seen Scott. Well, I, how many, I don't I do know how many times I've hung story. out with you, Scott. I do have a Ron story from this time, which is just when he first got there, everybody's kind of surrounding him. And of course, Dan McAdams is very protective and kind of stand there making sure everybody like, you know, not too big of a crowd. And then at some point he looks up and sees me 
and goes, oh, hi, Scott. It's so great to see you again. And gives me a nice big handshake and like whatever, whatever. So that to me is just because I've met the guy like, I don't know what, seven or eight times in my life, maybe. And we, we talked. I've spent some time with him before. Um, but then again, like I used to have hair and no beard. And now I have no hair and a beard. And like, I don't know. I, it's been a little while since I've seen him and he's getting a little older. And so but he definitely recognized me and called me by name and apparently he has some respect for me and that means everything to me because to me he's just the greatest american who ever lived he's I mean, definitely the last great american statesman there's no doubt about it i think there's some good i think there's some good people coming up i've talked about this a few times so. on the show but i think there's some good people coming up uh through yeah. the ranks that are that are that are picking up some yeah. some because you know look dude ron paul's 80 what 87 years old or something like that i believe so yeah yeah i mean the guy at some point the guy needs to have just a you know a couple years where he could just sit around and not have to fucking lead our movement you know what i mean i I think he's having a good time i mean he 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 does the um liberty report five days a week still with dan and chris rossini you know yeah he's he's great he does this is his his life's work i mean that's what that's the other thing too like i've had people like "Well, well what do you think what do you think that Ron Paul has no principles because he showed up to this event. And I'm like, nah, dude, that's not a fuck. I never said anything like that. Yeah, you didn't, I didn't never heard you say that. Yeah, yeah I never said, yeah. I never said Scott Horton doesn't have any principles or fucking Ron mm-hmm. Paul doesn't have any principles. I have my issues with some of the speakers. You know what I mean? And I, I even re, I re, I, I reinforced my points by making another post. Cause my first point was, look, don't ask me to fucking align with these people. I don't like these people. I, they're my enemy. And then people came and got on me about it. And so my second post was like, hey, let me clear this up for anybody that wants to hear. There was some a couple of really dumb fucking speakers there. There was a couple of really fucking great speakers there. Uh, fuck Russia, fuck Ukraine, fuck NATO. That's it. I don't know. I, like, and it's fuck communism. Yeah, and, like, and none of those things is you bossing other people around. Right. Or, you know, saying like what what behavior you expect out of anybody else, you know, or anything like that. But, and, and look, whatever, like there's, uh somewhere on the spectrum of left wing if, if somebody there is that far left you can't go like whatever dude that's cool sure i just you know it the problem for me is people you know in the movement condemning the project itself and trying right. to act like it was some kind of failure or some kind of you know anything well like there's that. a lot of people that's out there that are that are running really with this great. it was a huge failure and it won't ever do anything oh, yeah. or call oh yeah something. that's not oh, true yeah. i mean there were there were at least two thousand people there i mean i don't know exactly how to count them but it was people are saying hundreds or whatever that's a damn lie man there are thousands of people there there's a great clip of that max blumenthal got with his i guess with his phone just you know starting at the right side and, and filming the whole crowd and there's a, a noticeable dearth of flags i think there was one rainbow flag and then a lot of signs um and and, uh, and a couple of american flags um and and he like went from side to side and showed i think it's clear and especially when you include the crowd in the back that was there for the event not just there for abe lincoln i think um, it was Duke camp that that made the post like oh yeah look at those terrible imperialistic flags in the background he posted the oh, yeah. picture with the american, the american flag flags. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like those guys have committed genocide in yemen and syria oh, the dirty war in that syria camp that put that out started. right yeah. I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was the camp from antiwar.com. Yeah, that did that. Um, so yeah, man. I mean, I think it was great. And look, maybe the next one will be more your speed, which is fine with me. You know, and I really hope, um, and I, I'm I'm speaking way too soon out of school on this, but I really hope that we can do the exact same thing again, only with the right. I, just, I put out a message the other day. I said, now let's do it with the right wing and see what happens. And and hey, man, you guys put together a, a right wing libertarian united uh rage against the war machine. I'll come speak free i'd love that i'd love to see that i'd love to see that happen and and it's it's like dude like 
look, I, you know, like I said, when I talked to Scott on the phone, of course, I conceded some things. I think, okay, yeah, I, I didn't know about the atmosphere of the rally, obviously. Okay. I, I only saw what I saw by watching the live streams. Of course, I, I, I was never, first of all, I've never invited the rally. Okay. No one ever, ever invited me at all. Uh, I had nothing to do whatsoever with the, or, with the organization of the rally, which I thought was kind of strange. Nobody, I didn't even know about it until it was like already like a, they already had like a, like a flyer for the thing. And I'm like, well, yeah. okay, cool. Well, all right. And, um, and then, you know, obviously, like I said, the, my biggest problem at first was the, the Scott Ritter thing. And, uh, then when I looked more into it, I was like, ah, shit. Uh, and so, but you know, it's true. We do need an anti-war movement in this, in this country. There's no doubt about it. It needs to be a lot bigger than it fucking is right now because it's been shit since 2001. I mean, yeah. the anti-war, you know, you hear all the time about, just absolutely horrible people in the Republican and Democratic parties, right? We're like, this donor here, this governor there, these people, this mayor, whoever, who do heinous crimes. But somehow, like, well, whatever. You can't blame the Democratic Party for that. It's a political party in a country of 300 million people with all these members. Sometimes they're going to do crazy things. And, you know, if you get too many of them in a row, it starts really making a stink. But for the most part, they don't get blamed, right? Because it's kind of not their fault. Some guy who donates to them ends up doing something crazy. Like, I don't know if they had reason to know that or something, you know what I mean? But like somehow um, people want to hold things against us, like in an unreasonable kind of a way, I think that like, oh, did you know that, you know, someone who was a member of the LP back in the eighties wrote something, some kind of thing. Like, I don't, I don't care about that. Like uh, we got to be all uh, future oriented here and, and we have major, major problems, but look, I mean, I think um, you you spent a lot of time thinking about how we can use what little marginal power the LP has right. um, to, to affect, you know, politics on the larger level in America. I mean, overall, not just on the national level, I mean, local level uh, offices, too. But I just mean overall in the society, what difference can we make? A lot of what we will be left to do will be to try to split the vote, right? If we're smart, we can do it quite deliberately, not just show up and split the vote, but quite deliberately target certain politicians for destruction. Um, and, and, and based on the things that they're the worst on, right? Like the, target the worst warmongers, target the worst gun controllers, target, you know, the very worst enemies of liberty, people who serve foreign interests above American interests and, and do everything we can to disrupt and so we, you know, we need to build a reputation of, um, you know, having our priorities straight as far as what it is that we're against and what we're willing to do to try to stop them. And the better we do, the more people we win over. And, you know, I think don't underestimate, too, how many leftists are even finding out about libertarianism at all for the first time because of this rally. Like, what is a libertarian anyway? Who are these guys anyway? And if they're so right wing, how come they're not just Republicans? And I don't know. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity. We like for to us. smoke weed, Scott. Yeah. Well, oh yeah, that's that's the one yeah. annoying effect. Um, and and not just leftists, but like regular people too, just regular people. I mean, I'll never forget the very first time I learned the word libertarian was on the back of a, a beat old uh, Oldsmobile, brown old Oldsmobile. The bumper the bumper sticker said, "Enough is enough. Vote libertarian." And I was like, ah, "I wonder who that is." But I like the spirit of them being hateful toward the other guys. You know what I mean? It's not like we have a better way. It's like, screw them. You know, Scott, you should tell that story, but you should say that the bumper sticker said enough already. 
and oh, that's see. how you that's how you wrote the book. That's Enough already. No, but that that wouldn't be true. That was my own idea. Um, but no, like yeah, people got to learn this stuff for the first time, and uh, and I've had people, you know, over these twenty years. We talked at the beginning about you know soldiers telling me they like my books, um, but I've had left wingers tell me they like my economics. That like you know what. When Obama came and the left stopped caring about war and you guys kept caring about war, well, I just became a libertarian because that's what I care about. And if that's who cares about the war, then I guess I'm a libertarian then because I'm with you guys, whatever it is that you are, because, you know, that's what was important. So other left-wing issues went to the wayside. Now he's piling around with us. Now he's reading some Rothbard and and learning about Austrian economics. And It's funny because I actually came to I came to the libertarian movement because of the anti-war thing as well. I mean, I was a Republican under and I served in the military in war under George Bush. Uh, When I got out, I was like, listen, this Republican Party wants to continue these wars and I don't want to be a part of these fucking wars anymore. That's when I found Ron Paul. Of course, they famously just treated him like shit. And um, but he he had I had seen him say the term libertarian. Mm hmm. I had never heard that term before yeah. I heard Ron Paul say it. Yeah. And, uh, then, uh, you know, famously worked on Ron Paul's campaign in 08 in California. Um, then again, in 2012, I was stumping for Ron Paul. Actually, you bring up occupy, which is funny cause I'm from Oakland and okay. I was, I was at the occupy, uh, Oakland rallies, which is funny to say now because I'm so anti-communist, but I was at the occupy rallies stumping for Ron Paul. And I'll never forget. I, I walked up on this group of, um, communists really i mean that's what they were and they had spray painted on this wall in the park the economy's in a tank with a tank they actually like bombed this really cool tank and i got this cool conversation with them about the economy and and you know Mm -hmm. their version of what was happening with the economy was was created by completely different things than what i thought was creating the problems with the economy of course the federal reserve and and those and the war state but they agreed on that the economy was bad because of, of wars. They agreed on that. And that's why they had the economies in the tank and put the tank on there and all that stuff. Right. And they were like, yes, these military industrial complex people are fucking terrible and this and that and this and that. And I was like, wow, dude, we agree there. But I, that's how I found the libertarian party was because I was, you know, I watched how the Republicans treated Ron Paul, I uh, came to the party first time in 2010. Then I, of course, when I thought Ron Paul was going to, uh, win in 2012 i wanted to go back and make sure that that tried to happen um and then i joined the party again in 2015 16 because i was like there's no way i'm gonna be a part of this fucking circus that's going on now right 2016 um but but i didn't know anything about libertarian and the and movement and the philosophy and all that stuff outside of i'm anti-war these guys are anti-war these are these got to be my people right that's and then, great you know. and look ron paul look that's his to me his, well look even to him to all of us like that's one of his greatest legacies that you know imagine if he'd just been a liberal democrat if it had just been dennis kucinich it would have never worked on you you know it had to be ron and, and and now even trump to say like look man if you like your identity you could keep it we're not, I'm not asking you to move left. I'm just asking you to stop being stupid about this one thing. You don't believe in this stuff, do you? The war stuff? Come on. And when Ron tells you it's okay, then it's okay. And, oh, peer pressure issues solved. You know, social psychological incentives nullified. This guy's a Republican congressman from Texas. Uh, Methodist or Baptist. Still married to his first wife. Decent gentleman. Baby Delivered doctor, babies. Not a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> And, and he says that you'd be a damn fool to believe in this stuff. So 
permission slip signed and cashed, you know, and, and it, it, it uh, helped millions of people at the time. That's the greatest thing about Trump is not really, well, he did sign that peace deal to get us out of Afghanistan eventually, but um, probably the greatest thing of, of Trump's legacy is telling right wingers that you'd be a damn fool to believe in this. Who, who are you? Lindsey Graham, which he's friends with Lindsey Graham and does whatever <laughs> Lindsey Graham says, by the way, but at least he tells them that. Yeah. Right. Um, that like real right wingers hate wars. And it's like, okay, good. Um, that's exactly what they need to hear. And they should, I mean, they're not all going to read Romando, but he's right that all right wingers should hate, um, you know, especially America's world empire, the way we have now, it's the worst. I mean, yeah. If you're not willing to go with us on, you know, just war in general. I mean, the, the reason antiwar.com is named antiwar.com is because 1995 America's the world empire and starting these wars. And so it's not a question of whether America should defend itself or not. That's not on the table. That's not even one of the discussions at all. The question is how many people should we kill in Nigeria or not? Right. You know, how many people are we going to bomb to death in Libya or not? Not whether they're ever coming here. I, yeah. um, Scott, I got, I got some good, uh, a, a really good question in the chat, but I want to read these two okay. super chats first. Uh, my good friend from West Virginia out there in the boonies, uh, Matthew Lucas, thanks for the $10 super chat, man. He said that you guys are the reason I'm part of this movement. That's all. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. And I want to be clear, dude, like my own gripes aside, like, I don't think there's a, there's, there's not another movement. You know what I mean? Like this is the, yeah. the libertarian movement is the only movement I, I think. You know what I mean? And 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 even with you know my concerns over this rally or what aside, the Mises Caucus I think is still the is still the caucus that's going to get this stuff done, right? Um, and so so I just I always wanted to make that clear. Like I my my problems are not with the people. You know these are great people, dude. Fucking good, great people. I I, I mm. haven't I haven't got, gone out and badmouthed the caucus or or Scott or Dave or any of these guys because. They're, in my opinion, they're the people that are going to make this happen. Okay. Yeah. Regardless. Other, you know? yeah. And look, and, and by the way, like, as long as you're bringing it up, huge thanks to all of the people from all across the country who have put in just immeasurable, uncountable hours and dollars and effort into making all of this happen. I mean, the LP for my entire life, the LP was this separate, different entity from the libertarian movement. I mean, even Cato is like part of the movement. You got Doug and Ted at the very least. You know what I mean? I don't know. But the Libertarian Party might as well have been just the Liberal Party or something. They just had, or, or whatever they are. They just weren't part of our movement. In fact, a, a very prominent recent presidential candidate told me that they had no idea that there even was a Libertarian movement. That wasn't part of the Libertarian Party. That wasn't, you know, inside the party. You know, these are things were entirely separate things. And now what have we got? You know, Tom Woods dream, you know, or at least his lucky wish came true that the Libertarians took over the party. So now when the Libertarian Party says something, it says something Libertarian instead of here's how to win the war in Iraq or crickets, right? When everything matters the most. And so, like, for example, I mean, Angela, I think, did such a great job in putting this thing together and in setting the precedent for it. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet that tomorrow the LP will have a statement in support of Matt Gates's Syria War Powers Resolution. 
the old LP wouldn't have given a damn about that. They would have come out. They would have come out and called Matt Gates a racist and a bigot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or something stupid. Yeah. yeah. No, I tried to get him. I tried to get the old LP um, to sign on to supporting the War Powers Resolution on Yemen a few years ago, and they just straight up said, "Drop dead." You know, the guys that that you and and we overthrew uh, right. wanted nothing to do with it. But you know, like I got to tell you, man. Yeah, and in fact, people, I'll go ahead and address this too, because at my request, the LP spent a lot of energy last year uh, pushing this war powers resolution on Yemen, which ended up failing in December when Joe Biden intervened and, and Bernie Shocking. killed it. Everybody blamed Bernie. It was Biden who killed it. Now, Bernie should have at least held the debate all night before the thing got voted down. He had the votes to pass it, he thought. And then Biden came and took his margin away. Um, but he he definitely should have held the debate and had the vote still. So I do blame him for that. But it was really Biden that killed it. Um, and if people felt like I was wasting their time or jerking them around, telling them to con call their congressman, you know, I'm sorry about that. But I don't think that any of us were ever under any illusions. Certainly, I never claimed that calling your congressman is magic and works, right? The question was, if we all do this together, all us libertarians and all us leftists on the margin, could it make the difference in getting this thing through the House? And we weren't even focused on the Senate at the time. It seemed like the Senate was the tougher shot. We had much more progress going on in the House. And the question was, and we had gotten it passed before. And so the question was, um, if we can drum up enough support on the margin, can we take a good shot? at a vote on this thing. And uh, for people who said, oh, it was still just a giant waste of time. I mean, my only answer to that is you must not know anything about the war in Yemen then. Because a level, it's a genocide. I mean, you can't, we talked about Mao Zedong earlier, inflicting famine on his nation. That's what America's done to Yemen. We have inflicted a famine on these right. people. And people go, oh, Saudi led coalition. America is the world empire. Saudi Arabia is our client state. If anyone wants to argue about that, you can look up my email address, okay? Or, <laughs> you know, Barack Obama, they came to Barack Obama and asked him permission. Mohammed bin Salman and Mohammed bin Zayed from Saudi and UAE asked him, can we do this, boss? And he said, yes. Here are our plans and money and expertise to do it. Right. Gave him the intel, the logistics, the everything to make it happen. The planes and the bombs and the refueling the Navy to enforce their blockade. This is our war. And man, I'm telling you, upwards of a million people have been killed, mostly starved to death, Mao Zedong style, by America's blockade. You know, and, and it's well over 100,000 children are dead. Yeah, it's bad. You know, and dying of cholera, which means this is, I love this disease for the irony, love in the evil, sick, uh, ironic way. This disease, cholera, is easily treatable with water right clean water right right you don't need emergency back you know antibiotics they probably wouldn't kill you right a little help but if, if you got some clean water you probably make it but they got no clean water because we bombed it yeah, it's and then terrible. in the middle of the cholera epidemic we bombed the hospital and so then what that means literally is little babies diarrheaing and, and vomiting themselves to death right that's the united states of america in yemen and I'm going, look, we have a political party. Let's try and do something with it, man. 
we got all these cats who joined our herd. Well, shit. I mean, let's see if we can get them to do something all at the same time. And, and let's say, dude, in Ohio, they try to pass a red flag law. Okay, let's do that. Let's stop them from doing that. Right? Let's, what's your issue? You want to free Ross? Let's free Ross. Let's, let's turn the whole LP for the month of August onto getting that guy out of jail. You know, whatever it takes, you know, if it takes a couple of months to do the letter writing campaign, the newspapers, the radio, the TV, the lawyers. And we try to get this poor bastard out of the pen. We should about, be doing that anyways. We should be doing. Yeah, but look, I mean, the thing is, let's make a concentrated effort and do it. I'm My point being, it doesn't have to be. And, and I support Ross 100 percent. But I'm just saying. It doesn't have to be my issue, Yemen, but it has to be something. And right now. Like, and, and I mean every word of what I say about Yemen. It's every bit as bad as Iraq War II. It's because TV doesn't portray it that way. It's yeah. absolutely every bit as bad as what W. Bush did. It's, in it, it, might, it might be worse. It might be worse. It, it, yeah, it's, it's equivalent, man. I mean, we're talking a million dead. We're talking a million dead fucking people. And a lot of people don't even, have yeah. never even heard of it. <laughs> yeah. And up. it's, you know what? You know, and we don't. Yeah, we. Don't, that's right. People don't even know about it at all. And and I really don't know that it's a million. That's you know, it's definitely in the hundreds of thousands. It's certainly more than half a million now. And I, but I think that that must be a vast undercount. Right. If when you know later when they do the excess death rate comparison, you're gonna cringe yourself to death, dude. It's this is the shame of America. This is like the goddamn trail of tears or something. This is some shit we should not be doing. And and so. You know, same thing with this war in Ukraine, man. You know, this you know, people are used to Americans uh, getting their legs blown off, driving around in Humvees, getting ambushed and this and that, which sucks, but is low level fighting. And what's happening in Ukraine, obviously, it's not Americans, you guys on the ground, but the this is like World War One trench and artillery war tank and, and artillery war, which means that with each hit, people are being blown to bits, man. They're being blown to bits, like in the World War One movies, the giant craters, you know, pink mist. Right. And and this is just absolutely some of the most brutal fighting that America provoked and that we could resolve. And I'm not saying it'd be perfect and easy, and it'd be a hell of a lot easier if you could rewind. What's the date? If you could rewind to exactly one year today and call freeze frame and like really, you know, agree to some real diplomacy to try to stop the war, it could have been prevented. And it could have been ended early, too, with uh, good faith negotiations taking place last March and April that American Britain intervened in to ruin, which we know from multiple sources now, including the prime minister of Israel, who was involved in the shuttle diplomacy confirming it. Um, and... Uh, and, and, and we're, we're essentially, you know, and I'm not trying to be too alarmist here, but we are, are risking increasing the risk of nuclear war to a significant degree. You know, um, people do the, you know, the, the bulletin for atomic scientists does the minutes to midnight and all that kind of thing. Like, I don't know about that, but I know that there's really nothing in our lifetime that compares to this, Josh, it's, you know, in 1983 with the able archer exercise, the, we almost had a nuclear war there where the Russians thought that the exercise was cover for a first strike. And then, but luckily some spies let them know that, no, that's not happening. And they took Bush senior vice president senior out of the chair and put the deputy secretary of defense in the chair in the drill 
And that let the Russians know that this really is a drill and not the big deal. But we could have had a nuclear war in 83. But in 83, we didn't have a hot war going on. We were sending in AK-47s to the Mujahideen. Right. Right. Not the kind of weapons we're sending into Ukraine right now. They didn't even send the stingers in until 86 or something. Um, and even then, it was just a few stingers. Nothing like what we're doing. And this is 300 miles from Moscow. This is on Russia's border. And it, it does not take the slightest bit of imagination. You could be a war hawk and agree with me that a miscalculation or a bad computer blip could lead to a real war between the major powers here. And, and we have plenty of close calls where the computer says America's attacking, but the Russian goes, eh, I don't believe it. But if we're right in the middle of tensions like this and the computer says America's attacking, they might be much more likely to believe it. The fact that we're even increasing that risk to any appreciable degree at all is unforgivable sin. And this Joe Biden's policy here is the worst policy in my lifetime ever. This is worse than W. Bush. And this is the worst since Harry Truman started the last Cold War. This is just absolutely out of control. And, that, you know, it's, it's really unforgivable that all 300 million Americans were not in D.C. with all of their foibles and all their convictions and all of their stupid ideologies. Should have all been there to agree with us that we need to cease fire and end this war right now. I do agree with you. There's a lot of stupid ideologies out there, but uh, sure. hold on. We sure. got, we got some uh, super chats. I want to address here. Craig DaCosta. Sure. Thanks for the $5 super chat. He said, thanks for having Scott on and having this discussion. Uh, Will Hobbs. Oh, uh, Will Hobbs said a $5 super chat. He said red pilled two young Schiller Institute guys at the rally on Lysander Spooner and certificate of need laws. Uh, Brady Burleson, $2 super chat. Thanks, man. He said, hello. Uh, Libertarian Podcast Review, our good friend Tyler, he said, uh, $10 Super Chat, thank you. He said, thanks for a good discussion. I'll be fine with an anti-war coalition with the left, but I'll never stop critiquing the left's economics. Good. And Max Sickmayer, thanks for becoming a supporter. Now, I do want to take a quick moment uh, because Will Hobbs threw a chat to remind me. Uh, $2 Super Chat. He said, hey, it's my two sponsors. Sell that coffee. So I do want to take a moment here oh, yeah. uh, to uh, drop some Peace Hawk Coffee That's love. I knew I knew that name, yeah, but yeah. these uh, neurons and those neurons weren't talking, so yeah. thanks. Uh, th- with this small coffee roasting business, Peace Hawk will sell delicious micro-batch coffee roasting uh, on- while online donating at least $1 of every pound sold to worthy foreign aid organizations like Yemen Relief and Reconstruct- Re- Reconstruction Foundation uh, who has expressed support for this project. While our initial focus will be on Yemen, Ethiopian coffee. We will have some affordable Central American varieties as well. Uh, we have the Honduran one here. It's amazing. We love it. Uh, however, oh, it's piece- so good. Yeah, it's great stuff. I'm man. interrupting. Yeah. And yes, I'm a paid shill too, but it's so good, this coffee. We're which, paid by the way, I'm out of, Will. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm almost out. We're almost. We're getting there. Not yet. I'm a, I'm at two pots a day now, man. I got a book to write. <laughs> uh However, PSOC will always donate at least $1 from every pound sold to worthy foreign or uh, foreign aid organizations. When you buy PSOC coffee, you're not only buying great coffee, you have a chance to support the economies of countries struggling against the effects of war, support stellar private aid foundations doing life-saving work abroad, support stateside peace activists like myself, like Scott, like Will Hobbs, who's gr- created this great company, and of, and of course, everybody else that has yeah. ever pretty much been on my show. Hey, by the way, let me say, Josh, that... that um... Yemen Recon- Relief and Reconstruction Foundation. That's Aisha Juman. She's a great lady. And um, I can't remember who it was, but one of my guys 
did a deep dive into her charity because whenever he gives to charity, he likes to do a deep dive and see. And he says she spends everything on Yemen. Like nice. there's no overhead, 1% or less or something on overhead. That's she just gives all the money away. She pays her bills with her real job or something. So the, uh, that is the, 100% vouch for that great agency there. Good, good. The name PSOC will be the counter to the Warhawk who is aggressively pro-war. This company will be aggressively pro-peace. Sign up today at the email list on peacehawk.coffee to get updates when you go live and order some delicious coffee, man. I promise you it's worth it. If Listen, if Scott and I drink it, and say that it's good coffee. It's good, it's good coffee. Especially Scott. Good. Scott loves this. Scott yeah. drinks probably more coffee than I do. And I drink a lot of coffee. I drink a lot of coffee, man. Yeah. I coffee and Dr. Pepper all day long. All right. Um, yeah. There was a question in the chat. It did not come through as a super chat. Uh, but I thought this was an important question. We can definitely take a little time on this. Um, uh, so Tommy the Cat said, I listened to Scott talking about the buildup to this war and its causes. I am just conflicted with like, what now? I sympathize with the Ukrainian people, but can't fund it, but we can't fund it forever. He said, uh, great to see you live, Scott. I was wondering after watching your speech, what would peace talks look like? What does a realistic end of this war look like conceding land or something else? Yes. I mean, that's basically it. And look, I mean, um, this is not a radical position. This is the position of the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff. It's it's time to talk. And so what happened was if you go back to September, you'll remember that the, Ukrainians had a great success in seizing the city of Kherson. They did a big feint near Kharkiv. And, uh, uh, oh, wait, no, I'm getting that out of order. Well, anyway, they took back Kharkiv and they took Kherson city in September. And as a response, the Russians angrily officially annexed and absorbed into Russia, into the Federation, um, not just the Donbass, which is Donetsk and Luhansk, but also Zaporozhye and Kherson, which are the next two provinces headed west on the southern part of, you know, southeast Ukraine there. And, and Kherson goes to an area a bit northeast, uh, pardon me, a bit uh, even uh, northwest of the Crimean Peninsula, if you're picturing Ukraine in your head there. Um, so... The thing of it is, not all that territory is under Russian control. Oh, I, I should mention he held some plebiscites, which there's no reason for you to take those seriously in the middle of a war and an occupying army. But they held some plebiscites to, you know, supposedly rubber stamp, uh, make it official and absorbed them. But I think, oh, and then so in, in uh, and then in, in, um, in September also, uh, Putin announced that he was, calling up 300,000 reserves and that there's going to be this new escalation and all this at that time, at the very beginning of, Oh, that would have been in October. Um, and then it, at the beginning of November, Mark Milley said, I think it's time for Ukraine to talk. And essentially you guys are behind, but it's time for you to quit while you're behind, but only this far behind. Cause it's not getting better from here. It's going to get worse. And so now's the time to talk. And then the newspaper said New York times reported that, um, you know, uh, uh, Anthony Blinken and um, uh, um, Sullivan, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, um, who probably between the two of them have never been in a fist fight in their life. They like overruled the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the military advice that it's time to do this. And, and, and Biden sided with them and said, no, it's time to keep going. Now, I'm putting words in Millie's mouth a little bit here, but I think it's only fair to assume that what he really meant was you guys are losing Mariupol, okay? You're not getting Donetsk and Luhansk back, but maybe you can keep Zaporozhye and Kherson, 
you know, or most of them, if we start talking now. But essentially, the Donbass ship has sailed along with Crimea now. You can forget it, and we should end this war now instead of just getting more people killed and having the same result later. And, you know, he was preceded in that, by the way, by the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mike Mullen. He's a very violent guy himself, but he's just saying this is, you know, not right. We, we should be calling this off sooner than later. So I'm, I'm presuming a little bit and inferring what Millie means by that. But I sen- essentially, I think that's the deal. Putin has claimed four Ukrainian provinces. Well, let him have two. And, oh, I meant to say this and I spaced out. Um, there was a report in Newsweek. And I'm not sure if this is true, but someone had told me, and I'm sorry, man, I um, I meant to go and look this up in the Washington Post, but I never did read the Post version. But somebody told me there's a Post version of this article, too, confirming it, or at least, you know, developing the story further. But I did read the New York, uh, the pardon me, the Newsweek version, said that Biden sent the CIA director, William Burns, to Moscow and to make an offer to them 20% of Ukraine, and that this would be the offer to Ukraine and to Russia for them to cease fire. And that, according to this report, both sides told him no. Now, I don't know exactly what they mean by that 20%, but I'm again inferring that means Donetsk and Luhansk. The Russians get Donetsk and Luhansk, but they give up Zaporozhye and Kherson. So now the thing is about the Ukrainians rejecting the deal is the Americans can say, look, man, that's fine, but we're not helping you anymore. You know, the Ukrainians can continue to fight as long as we're willing to give them all the intelligence and all the armaments that they need. Without our help, it's a much tougher fight. And so, you know, they're in, it's this weird um, diffusion of responsibility where we give them all these weapons, but we go, hey, it's up to them to decide how far they want to go with it, which is, you know, really outsourcing way too much of our foreign policy and the possible consequences to them and their whims. But, um, in any case, you know, to answer the question, that is at least the initial basis for the talks would be, you know, you guys give up half of what you claimed. And then, of course, that would also have to include permanent uh, neutral status in Ukraine's constitution and, you know, um, a renouncing of any intention to join NATO and an agreement by the United States and the rest of NATO not to bring Ukraine in, which is... As that Russian was asking me, geez, when everybody's positions are so starkly opposed as far apart as they are now, how do you make peace now? And I just think, you know, you got to at least try. And and Anthony Blinken, our secretary of state, he's talked to Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, once in the last year. The last year. It was February the 15th of 22 was the last time they talked to so for one time they talked over Brittany Griner, the basketball player. Right. And then they took, you know, this great pride in the fact that they refused to discuss the war with Russia at all. In fact, by the way, as long as I'm rambling about this, guys, there's a, a thing today. See, over the weekend while we were doing our anti-war protest, they were doing the pro-war protest there in Munich at the Munich Security Conference where all the, you know, European and American hoity-toity types are getting up there and talking about their foreign policies and such. And so there's this guy, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but um, he's a journalist for Defense One, which is just an industry propaganda rag. It's sponsored by Northrop Grumman, and it's just straight up. Oh, yeah, you know, they're they're unbiased. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're you know, straight out of the mouth of the military-industrial complex point of view at all times. 
And this guy Barron wrote a piece that came out today about how the Americans and the Europeans, they got up there on the stage and they said, whatever it takes, as long as it takes to help Ukraine win this war. But they don't mean that. And after talking to all of them, you know, off the stage, or even some of their remarks on the stage, it becomes very clear that they're terrified, rightly, of if they, presuming the manpower is available for argument's sake, if they were to give Ukraine enough weaponry to actually win the war, how might Russia escalate against the rest of NATO, right? This is, they're trying to boil the frog slowly, not get D.C. nuked off the face of the earth. And so they know that, no, not as long as it takes whatever it takes to help Ukraine win. They said, this is their policy instead, though. <laughs> this is a big improvement. I'm sure you'll agree. The policy is to drag the war on for 10 years. The policy is to keep the war going and, and no negotiations, no peace talks, and no compromise, just like Afghanistan in the 80s. And to keep the war going until the Russians just finally give up in exhaustion and defeat and withdraw. And that may be, you know, by calling it 10 years from now, Putin could be gone by then, they get to imagine. And this is somehow going to work out. Now, I'm just telling you, what the hell do I know? But I just don't think that we'll survive. I think if that's truly the plan, that they want to keep this war going and we have nothing but Bidens and McCain's up there keeping this policy going for the rest of this decade, that there will be a thermonuclear war and we'll lose all the major cities in North America and in Europe. And it'll be, and for what? For, not, for a border dispute 7,000 miles east of here in a country that most Americans still couldn't find on a map or care less about. In a country where our president says, no, we're not going to put in ground troops, but he's willing to risk a nuclear war, incre you know, increasing the risk to such a degree by jeopardizing Russian security to such a degree. I mean, they act like they're fighting, you know, in the Vietnam War, the Russians did support Ho Chi Minh to a degree. I don't know really how much, but to some degree. But look at the map. There's an entire China between Russia and Vietnam. They didn't give a damn what happened in Vietnam. Not really, you know, but this is going on. Or even in Afghanistan, there's an entire Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, you know, between them. Um, and it's on their southern border. This is their western border. Um, and, and look at the map. It's a funny kind of a, the way it cuts in there with the way Ukraine is. Kharkiv is 300 miles from Moscow, due south. Um, so the level of risk here is just absolutely intolerable, man. So like, and that's the thing that I forgot how I got started on this ramp. But the point being that, you know, this really is all now, I don't know what I was going to say, but now I'm going to say, this is an all hands on deck moment that like, this is the most important thing in the world. Forget about it. You know, there's no, you know, drag queen library hour for people to squabble about if we're all dead of gamma radiation poisoning, you know? Yeah, man, I get it. Uh, it's it's just a lot to take in, I think, for, for some people. And I don't think other people understand. I don't think a lot of people... Of course, the, the, the American media tries to keep the weight of situations off 
off the shoulders of the public because they don't want people to freak out because when you start freaking out you start not trusting the government right i don't think the average american is even ready to wrap their head around um a nuclear weapon detonating inside the united states that's right i i think that's i, I, don't, I don't think realistically thinking like what you would have to do to survive that and and come out alive and safe i i don't think they have any idea that's and look scary. i can't fathom it and people, you know, Jimmy Dore made this point in his great speech. He was so funny. He goes, why are we sending money to Nazis in Ukraine when we could be helping Nazis buy eggs here in America? <laughs> um, but he goes, look, he just points out, he goes, look, nuclear weapons nowadays are way more powerful than Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Oh, yeah, and that's, like, you know that's an understatement. Yeah, man, look, uh, Hiroshima was, was like 12 kilotons and Nagasaki 15. And these are the Nagasaki bomb, that kind of implosion, fission bomb. That's the blasting cap for setting off a hydrogen bomb. Right. Because it has to be hotter than the sun in order to allow for fusion to take place. Right. So you split these radioactive heavy metals. You make it hotter than the sun. Now you can fuse hydrogen isotopes together. Now you get enough to kill, say, all of Dallas in one shot, one bomb, in the tens of megatons, you can get, you know, even the high kilotons, hundreds of kilotons, or just if you're talking one or two or three or 10 megatons, you're talking about like a, a 10 megaton bomb, would, which are available, would kill all of Houston. One bomb would kill Houston, Texas. And that's not bullshit. And people think that, come on, that could never happen because it hasn't happened yet. Everybody said, my friend Michael, I love him, he said, when I was a kid, everybody said Ronald Reagan was going to get us into a nuclear war. Well, it never happened, so screw that. That's stupid. And he's right. It is stupid. And those machines are so deadly. They are, as you're saying, it's inconceivable yeah. that, that they could ever be used. But the thing is, that's just to you and your conception. Somebody else's conception is different. To, and I've heard this over and over again and read this over and over again from sources all over the world in different contexts. A nuke is just a bigger bomb. And if the smaller bomb isn't getting the job done, you break out the bigger bomb. And if they don't understand that you mean business, then you break out a bigger one than that. And to generals, and essentially to politicians too, it is absolutely thinkable that they would use nuclear weapons if they thought that they had to. And what they consider had to is not going to be the same as what you would have them consider had to it's like a cop right a cop shoots you when he can not when he has no choice you know militaries are like that too you know <clears throat> and it's true that ever since the russians got them we quit using them on people you know thank goodness but that's not a magic wish right that's a strategy that has so far held but you know here's some goofy shit you'll like this the americans claim and it may be true I don't know. The Americans claim that the Russians have a policy called escalate to de-escalate. And the idea is if we were in a proxy war with them in say Ukraine and they were losing and humiliated and angry that they might use an atom bomb in order to demonstrate to the Americans that they're really angry and agitated now and we better back off. Well, the American military wants the Russians to know that will never work on us. And if you use a nuke to try to get us to back down, if you escalate to de-escalate, 
we will nuke you back. We might nuke Belarus first as a demonstration, but we will not back down and we will use a bigger bomb than you use. You're building all these tactical usable nukes. We don't have too many of those. And so we'll let you know, you Russians, that if you use a nuke to escalate to de-escalate, that we will nuke you back in order to escalate to de-escalate. And now you're the one who better be, better de-escalate, not us. But if you remember in this scenario, they're the ones who nuked us already first, or at least broke out the nukes first. So somehow, even though their doctrine of escalate to de-escalate would never work on us, the very same guys who insist that it would never work on us also insist that it better work on them. Right. Now, once we nuke them, then they'll stop. Instead of saying, uh-uh, now we're going to escalate even more in order to de-escalate you, maybe we'll just nuke NATO headquarters. Right? And then now we're all dead. Now we have a general nuclear war. Use them or lose them. Right. If you die, your hometown goes up in flames. The whole thing. Everyone in it. Over nonsense, over crazy. You know, have you ever seen the movie Threads, the British movie where they, it's like um, the day after, only the British version where they get in a nuclear war? I have, I have not seen that, no. no. Oh, it's a great one, man. There's even a scene where this old man's like sitting in the rubble when he's playing with Empire Strikes Back action figures. It's really great. Um, <clears throat> but that whole, that whole thing started from a very plausible scenario. In fact, in the day after, they're fighting in Berlin and there's an escalation in over West Berlin. In threads, it starts because the Russians invade Iran. Just like Jimmy Carter warned them, they better not. And they do it. And Margaret Thatcher says she's got Ronald Reagan's back. And Ronald Reagan says, you better turn around and get out of Iran or I'm going to bomb you. And all the, this is revolutionary Iran that we hate, right. right? You still can't invade it. Not that they're our ally. <laughs> but anyway, and, and this is how the nuclear war starts and everybody dies. And I think that that is plausible, right? That, they would do that. They would get us on an escalatory spiral over who rules Persia when it really doesn't matter, not for the long term anyway. Certainly not enough to give up our whole civilization for as some kind of matter of principle, you know? But um Yeah, we don't need we don't need the gas if we're not alive, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Okay, I mean, yes. and, and look, it, we don't need the gas anyway. I mean, you know, we're all capitalists here. We know that the only solution to high gas prices is high gas prices. And that makes other oil sources available in other places. It's not a problem. We'll work it out. Um, but um, but th anyway, my point is, though, that it's not, it's not crazy to think that the Prime Minister of Britain and the President of the United States would tell the Russians that you better not in a way where the Russians now feel like they can't back down. Now nobody can back down and everybody's talking tough and everybody's acting stupid and things just get stupid. I mean, national security is a government program. I know that you got, and hell, you've been in the military, man. You know how this stuff works. Yeah, they're not the brightest uh, tools in the shed for sure. Yeah. And or all the people that are the... that are following orders are, they have no idea what the fuck is going on. Nobody tells anybody what the, the weight of any situation is. It's just do this sure. now, you know? Right. And look, and they do go off of basically, you, do you remember like John Stewart at his best in the W. Bush years yes. when he was yep. really great? You couldn't help but like the guy, like he's really sharp. But even his best, he still just watched TV every day, yeah. right? You could tell he didn't really, he wasn't like devouring the Wall Street Journal and going, aha, but you guys said last week, this one really good point, something that we would have picked up at antiwar.com would have gone right over his head. Right. He was, John Stewart was like the very best review on today's TV news, right? 
that's kind of how I would see like a pretty well briefed admiral, right? Like he actually doesn't really know a tenth of the kind of stuff that we write and read about. He he's basically like he gets the old wives' tales. He gets the the kind of received wisdom that this is what we all think. We all think we got to do Saddam right now. This is what we all think that we it's time to finally get out of Afghanistan or it's time to double down or whatever it is. But you know, with obviously some exceptions, I think you know as as we were saying at the beginning of the show here, uh, the antiwar.com morning brief is better than the CIA one and it's better than the DIA one. Obviously, they have access to things that we don't know. Um, but for overall, like what is actually going on and what is actually at play, you're you know better off with our collection of wide and varied public sources than just relying on you know what they collect from their own narrow point of view. Sure. You know what I mean? It's a and it's a shame and it's a danger. It is. I mean, look at for example in Ukraine, the narrative is Russia started all this. You know, in 2014, they seized Crimea. Or in 2022, they invaded Ukraine. And you just don't need to know America's role in this. It's never part of it. The antecedents are always truncated at the part where the bad guy acts. You know, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Russia seized Crimea. And so I think even inside the CIA and the State Department and the Defense Department and the National Security Council, more or less, that lie reigns. That is the understanding. Saddam Hussein is the most dangerous force in the Middle East. Well, we all kind of think that, don't we? And they all kind of agree. And nobody says this is stupid and crazy and wrong. I was actually reading about it, and he barely has any power at all. You know, um, it's the consensus is powerful. That, and you can tell, especially now. I mean, man, you guys want to drive yourself mad. Try listening to national public radio in the afternoon. Oh, it's bad. I've listened, I've listened to it before. Oh, yeah. You want the, the D.C. New York think tank consensus on our Eastern Europe foreign policy. My God, man, we are in danger. There's you nothing know, scarier than a consensus of stupid people, dude. That's exactly I, I right. do listen to NPR in the afternoon. So okay. Our local radio here is WHO uh, 1040, so it's kind of conservative uh, talk radio in the afternoons. And then I'll switch it between that and NPR. Right. And I will just listen to NPR driving along. And with my mouth just open. I don't know how you do that, without. You do that without just getting yeah, fucking angry all the time. Yeah, if I wanted to hurt myself, I would just turn my blender on. You do sound like you came from NPR, it. buddy. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. So, yeah, I, I think that, look, I think that's a real problem, right? When when the the war party themselves and the implementers of the policy, they really are just breathing their own fumes. And none of them really know what's going on. Right. You know, I mean, I know a lot of them. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm a brilliant genius. I've never even finished college or anything like that. But at the same time, I'm driven by hatred and resentment. So I collect these footnotes, you know, kind of with an obsession. Like I can prove what they did in Kyrgyzstan in 2005 because I'm still worried about it and upset about it for some reason. So I like, you know what I mean? In a way that they don't have any reason to even remember that that happened, much less America's role in it, what the consequences were, why it might have mattered to the Russians that we would do such a thing, right. you know, on their soft underbelly there in Central Asia, et cetera, like that. It's not part of their narrative, but it's part of mine, you know, just because of my bent, basically. Right. So I, I, I think that they're, you know, the poor guys, they're lacking that. At the National Security Council, I fear that they're not willing to admit their role in engendering any of this crisis at all. 
you know, it's all just, and, and, you know, it's just like us where we're like, we know we're the good guys and we're trying to stop the bad guys. That's why we do all this all day. You know, we fight like hell and we work really hard to try to do the right thing. It's the same thing for these guys. You know, uh, we're right. And they're the bad guys, but they think that they're all Superman saving a kitten from a tree. And that obviously Russia is bad because Russia is bad. And obviously we're good because red, white, and blue and all that stuff. And okay, the 2 million corpses from the last 20 years notwithstanding. But other than that, though, we're great. You know? Scott, uh, Outlaw Thoughts, my good friend Layton. He's uh, been a member for 17 months, man. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate sticking around that long. Uh, he says, can you tell Scott that he needs to come visit Alaska? When, when's the last time you've been to Alaska, Scott? I've never been to Alaska and I'd be happy to go, but let me tell you, I got to get this book finished. I've been turning down every like state convention, invite me out. And a lot of people invite me out. I've been turning everybody down. So if I turned anyone down. Don't take it personally. I've turned everybody down. Many, how, much, how much more do you got on the book, Scott? Well, a lot. Yeah. I mean, right now it's 540 pages. Oh. And I still. Wow. Is your magnum opus, Scott? Is that what you're writing right now? No, I mean, really enough already was what I really wanted to say. Yeah, it was a good um, one. Best that's one. what I really have spent most of my time concerned about all this time is the Middle East wars. But I have, you know, been good on this Russia shit all along too. And, you know, I'm kind of Ramondo's sidekick over here growing up now. So um, I inherit his goodness on all of this stuff. And I put the links in all those articles. So I get half credit. <laughs> for all the all the research and all those pieces that he wrote about all that stuff all those years so um so but the, you know what it is is it's you know like in in enough already i say you know bill clinton he backed the bin Ladenites in bosnia kosovo and chechnya and then i give you a bunch of footnotes but here bosnia kosovo and chechnya each get their own section because it's not even just like the terror war book and i was really trying to keep that one at 300 pages at this one i was just like fuck it man i got I, I can't just tell you that he backed Bin Ladenites in Chechnya. I got to show you that I know this is true. Right. Sounds like some crazy bullshit, but it's not. And I'm going to show you that he did it, son of a bitch. And then, you know, and then the whole book is like that. It's, you know, it's the enough already of Russia stuff. It's the same form. It's just me collecting all of these footnotes that implicate them, you know, and mostly in their own words. Um, you know, it's a big new Brzezinski warning. If you guys follow my advice, Russia could invade Ukraine in 25 years. And they're like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, the book is just full of stuff like that, you know, and it's, um, it's, um, and then, but what, so I, I finished 250 pages of notes that I'd taken. And then I have a friend of mine sent me six, what he calls tranches of notes that he took from my show over the last 20 years. Oh, he would Google the hell out of Russia and Georgia and Ukraine and everything on my website and went and listened to all these interviews. I don't even know how many it is. That's something like 200 pages of interviews of just from my uh, notes, just from my interviews. So I got to go through all that. And then I still got a few books to read and some other things. And I've got, oh, I don't know. I got probably like two or three more sections that I've not really begun to tackle yet, but out of like a hundred. I mean, it's very written already. I think what's going to happen is I'll probably get it up to like 600 pages or maybe even more, and then I'll get out my hatchet and cry oh, and glue my teeth down to the gums as I cut and cut and cut. I'm not looking forward to that nightmare, man. What's the name of this book, Scott? Provoked. Provoked. How America started or restarted the Cold War. No, not re yeah. 
how America started the new Cold War with Russia and the catastrophe in Ukraine. So it's it's basically everything America did to fuck over Russia from H.W. Bush all the way through. Gotta get that it's going. Scott, is, is the hardest part about writing killing your darlings? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the thing that I'm gay married to the most is all those block quotes. There's these luscious, beautiful blocks. Ah, yes. Just, oh, and then you want to take them away from me to just to save <laughs> space. Ah. Like, I'll give you an example. My favorite one is the Wall Street Journal. I'm almost certain it's Georgia. The Wall Street Journal goes, hey, everybody, guess what? In two days, we're going to overthrow the government of Georgia. And here's how we're going to do it. And then it's like this 3,000 word article where it's just every paragraph is priceless. Like you tell me, gun to my head, which ones I'm supposed to cut out of this quote. It's so great. And they're like, and then George Soros is going to give $6 million to this guy. And then what? And it's just all right there. Um, and then the, there's just a little bitty one sentence paragraph that says, four days later, the New York Times ran a story called, guess what? Two days ago, we overthrew the government in Georgia. And here's how we did it. And then it's the same article, only now it's in the past tense. And it's like, I really want to show you guys both of those full articles. They're so good. I mean, each paragraph has such an admission in it. And it's like, what am I supposed to cut out of this? I really, I'm like stomping on my own foot. I don't want to edit this. I don't want to cut it. I want to show you. I don't want to ask you to believe me. Hey, the Wall Street Journal detailed it and then skipped to the next sentence. I'm going to show you. The Wall Street Journal, man, they confessed the entire thing before it happened. The New York Times confessed the entire thing after it happened in perfect symmetry. And it's just, what can you say to that other than, damn, Horton, you got me. America, that ain't democracy. That's America doing a coup d'etat. Plain and simple, you know, open and shut on to the next case, you know? And so that's is absolutely the hardest part of it. And, and that, that was the same thing for fools. Aaron and enough already too, is having to go through and cut. It sucks, but, um, well, good luck, man. Yeah. I just, I overdo it. I leave myself no choice. It's a self-inflicted kind of a thing. You know what I mean? I just get carried away, but, yeah, but well, anyway, and I don't know if anybody's going to read a 500 page book about this, but fuck them. If they don't like, I don't, what can I we'll, say? We'll I read gotta, it. We'll read it. You no, know, yeah. I gotta, I gotta make it say what I gotta say. And there, there are a lot of people out there that recommend that you just overwrite and overwrite and overwrite, and then you cut, cut back from that. Yeah, but so. what are you gonna cut that Scott has to say, dude? It doesn't make any. Like you gotta, you well, gotta keep everything. And there's very little of of really me talking in there very much. Like I'm really just trying to set up the next substantive paragraph of someone else's work, right? Like this guy in the Christian Science Monitor wrote this great piece back in 07 that you need to know about, and then the next part is. This other guy wrote this thing in Reuters in 08 that you need to know about. Like, that's what the whole book is. It's just other people's sources, and I'm just putting them in order right. for you. And so, like, the, the part that's me talking is really very minimal in it. Um, but it's just, um, it's the block quotes more than anything are what's going to get cut. And that yeah. really does hurt. It really sucks. I uh, I just started doing uh, reading audiobooks like reading for audiobooks so if you need a if you need a voice for your audiobook scott let me know i'd be be more than happy to do it for you but no listen let me tell you something i hate doing audiobooks but i'm still doing it you got to do it anyways dude it's got to be honestly like you're that's the thing about scott's books like they have to come from his voice dude it has to be it has to be although you're just not going to get the inflection just perfect the way i need of course not of course not but you know i'd still i still offer for free you know what i mean i do it i'm doing audiobooks now so you know so that's a great job man in fact you know there was this uh ron paul lady named um angela or angel i think angel 
who um, she became a great audiobook actress. She married a guy who was like a sound engineer who knew exactly what to do to get everything perfect oh, on the yeah. first take. And she would just sit there and record audiobooks. I, she contacted me because she wanted me to be the voice of a man in some dialogue in a fiction novel. And I just couldn't do it. I begged off because I just didn't have the time. But, um, but um, she was like cranking these things out by the hundreds. So the residuals, I'm sure, were just absolutely incredible by the power of multiplication tables that she just has. She's just doing book after book after book after book and getting them out there for people. And um, so I'm sure she's doing great right now. And it sounded like a really great job. I just it's a it's a fun process. I haven't actually got picked up for any books yet. I'm still auditioning. Uh, But I I learned I was like, man, I got all this podcast equipment. I got all these filters. I know how to set all the fucking compressors and shit. Let me see what I can do. And I started doing they came out really good. They've come. I've actually started doing them better than the last ones. You guys heard much better. Cool. Uh, Matt Sick, good, Matt Sickmeyer, thanks for the fifty dollars super chat, dude. That's Whoa, huge. Man. We appreciate you, uh, Scott. I shook your hand at Woods Two Thousand the morning after and said I just finished a tour at Fort Hood before moving back to Georgia. You sent mm-hmm. me a signed copy of Enough Already when I was in Temple, Texas. Thanks for the cool. insight on my military duty. Absolutely. Thank you, man. That's huge, dude. That's a good one, man. You know, I don't think I've had a single veteran tell me, like, fuck you, Horton. You don't know what you're talking about yeah. yet. Not, Not yet. yet. This whole time, man. I was, I, had... at, I was at Tom Woods two, uh, 2000 episode as well, uh, but we were at Disney World, and I, oh, yeah. I had been lugging. Did you get to the Falcon? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Oh, dude. That's so great. But we, we, had been, uh, we had been lugging around fucking eight kids around Disney World for oh. like three, four, four days already. So I was exhausted. So I did show up for a while. I did see you. I came up and talked to you real quick. Oh. You had a line of people waiting. This guy had a line of people waiting to talk to him. And I like went up to the front of the line. I'm like, yo, what's up, Scott? How's it going? And I look back and everybody's like, that. really, dude? I'm like, oh, dude, it's fucking, I'm sorry. It's my buddy. You know what I mean? Well, I think I was signing books. I don't yeah. think they were all just lining up to say hi. I think I had. Yeah, it was books. It was a book signing. And I was like, ah, I got, I got signed. I got signed Horton books already. I just want to go see my friend. And I looked back and the line was all like, really? Like just staring at me. I'm like, he's my buddy. I don't know. He gives good hugs. What do you want from me? I do. Scott, man, I appreciate you coming on, dude. I I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It's been great. You know, I'm a huge fan. Where can people find you, listen to you, support you, all that good stuff. Well, I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, which I'm really proud of all these guys, man. I got Sheldon Richmond and Lori Calhoun and Jim Bovard, of course, are my big names, but I got a great crew of guys as well. Uh, Kyle Anzalone um, and Connor Freeman and uh, Patrick McFarlane and uh, Tommy Salmons and Kim Robinson, all our great podcasters oh, and writers. It's really great. a great project. And and I loan my guys to antiwar.com all day too. So uh, Kyle works for both and Connor, you know, I don't know if he works for antiwar.com. He writes for antiwar.com as well. Um, and uh, of course, antiwar.com is uh, not, exactly my project i'm the editorial director um it's eric garris is really the main man there but it's the most important project on the internet and i really urge people to look at it every day and um and get yourself up to date on what the hell is going on in the world and um and then i do this show the scott horton show i'm coming up this april it'll be 20 years of the interview show um i've done 5,800 something episodes and they're all scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scott horton show and you can see the books behind me Fool's errand on Afghanistan, enough already on all the terror wars from Jimmy Carter through Trump. And then uh, the great Ron Paul is the transcripts of my Ron Paul interviews. And the latest is hotter than the sun, time to abolish nuclear weapons, which is interviews on all aspects of nuclear weapons, um, including, you know, Israel's secret program and Pakistan and India and North Korea and 
Hiroshima and Nagasaki and everything in under the sun there. Five thousand working episodes. on provoked. That's next. Five thousand episodes. Five thousand eight hundred, almost six. 000. Dude, that's and, and how long are those episodes, Scott? On on average. Oh, I think on average they're half an hour. Oh, they're not too long. Yeah. You got how do you do episodes that are only half an hour, Scott? How do you keep it that short? <laughs> you know, for a long time it's a live show. There's like two or three hours a day, and right. then the interviews would be like two segments long. They'd only be 20 minutes most times. Sometimes they'd be three segments um, of like, you know, 10-minute segments each between commercial breaks. Um, so for a long time, that was where the interviews came from. So they'd be, you know, either 20 or 30 that way. Um, when I first started, they were all one hour. Um, when I first started the interview show, um, uh, April uh, 12th, 2003 uh, alan bach from antiwar.com and the orange county register was the first guy and and at first they all were an hour then i was on um are you familiar with republic broadcasting network uh, john Statmiller, right wing militia guy radio um it's kind of the alternative to the alex jones channel i guess um i was on there for a while the weekend interview show it was still called the weekend interview show there um and i they were still like an hour then that was in a five uh and then I, I really started doing the daily show um in 07 and that lasted through 16 and then in 16 i quit to write books so i still do a podcast you know multiple times a week uh, i try to like build them all up on fridays um uh and then i do i'm still on the radio in los angeles on kpfk um that, yeah. station out there um, um but yeah so uh, I do. I we we did get one late snap, uh, one late super chat from our uh, friend Ronwell uh, Nagalis. Oh, hey Ronwell. Yeah, Ronwell's cool. Uh, he was there. Five dollars super chat. Hi Scott, I met you at, at Ron Paul. I met you and Ron Paul in person. My question for you is, what inspired you to write enough already book? Um, it was Tom Woods, really. Um, you know, I had been thinking about writing a book for a long time, but I always had a real hard time you know, deciding exactly what it was going to be. At one point I was going to write a book about all the fake FBI terrorism entrapment cases. And then, but I couldn't get any interest in it. And uh, that fell apart. And then, you know, I thought about writing about Iraq War II, but there are a bunch of Iraq War II books and whatever. And then I, I think the real genesis of the thing was Tom Woods called me one day and said, what if we did a book together that was like the terror war for dummies? And we just had kind of one chapter on each of the terror wars. And I go, oh, yeah, we could do that, man. I could do that. Um, and he goes, okay, well, I'm going to go to lunch with my daughter. I'll call you back. So he's at lunch with his daughter, and I wrote up the outline of the whole book. Like in an hour, hour, hour and a half while he was at lunch, I wrote the outline of the entire thing. This is what we're going to say. And then that was in like early 2015. And I think we kind of put it off and put it off. And it kind of became clear, like I'm waiting for him, but he's not. I think he's just too diverted with other things. He's got five or six daughters or something now and just was too many jobs. So at the beginning of 2016, I decided, oh, hell, I'll just go ahead and get started right now. And then the idea was I was going to write, you know, these pretty rough drafts and send them to him and he was going to kind of finish them up. But then that never happened. And I just kept writing it. And then when I got to chapter two, Afghanistan, it grew out of control. And so enough already became Fool's Errand, the Afghanistan book. And then Tom Woods honey potted you into writing the book as well. Yeah, basically he tricked me. <laughs> and, then, and then by the time I'm writing, I'm like, look, I've done all the work here. I'm not letting him put his name. Like, how much 
how much rewriting of my writing could he do to possibly earn a co-author credit at this point? So at that point, you know, I'm just joshing. Honey he, he just gets a thank you in the intro. That's right. Yeah, he was just tricking me into doing it. You got you got honey potted into writing enough already. I love that. That's the best. That's the best. Uh, that's the best story you can have for that one. And um, I honey potted the guys into starting Tower Power Hour. In case you were wondering. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah we yeah dude we should totally start a podcast like that. It'll be just like Legion of Skanks, but with the Tower Power guys. Yeah, let's do it. And they're like, all right, dude, we're gonna do it on Tuesday. I was like, yeah, I'll be there. And then I've been on two episodes the whole time. The whole time they've done the show. <laughs> you got them going though. Yeah, they got a good show, you know. You're welcome. I know. I I just I got busy, you know. Fuck, dude. The last two years have been so crazy for me. The last three years have been just oh, so yeah. crazy, dude. But Scott, I love you to death, man. I'm I'm, I'm a huge what? fan. Thank you so much for coming on, brother. We Absolutely. really appreciate you. I hope everybody goes and buys your books, listens to you, supports Cheers. this anti-war message. It's such an important thing. Uh, send the man some Dr. Pepper, dude. I, I'm sure they're running out where he lives in Texas at this point, dude. He demand drinks more than I do, and I like my Dr. Pepper, so. Good man. Good I was man. I saw Scott at Porkfest. They walk he walked up with a Dr. Pepper and I had been looking for a Dr. Pepper the whole time I was there. I was like, where the fuck did you get that at, Scott? <laughs> Dude, I got to the I got to the speech in DC and this guy Nathan from Ohio walks up. What's up? six pack of bottles oh shit and then, dude and then craig pasta who i think he said was in the chat there he gave me check i got right here i already ate one of them dr pepper cotton candy what dude that's dope oh, it's so good it'll give you diabetes but it's great that's so cool yeah I'm, i i share the, me and scott i had a whole thing of it already dr pepper i i sometimes switch it up to mountain dew though i like eat both okay so. fair, fair i am a diet dr pepper I don't. Ooh. I don't know if I could live without it at this point. Diet, diet. Oh man! Are you a receptionist somewhere by chance? <laughs> <laughs> He's got that voice, doesn't he? He does. I. I. I receptionist. Hello, my name's Habit. He's like, hello. My name's. My name's Ryan. I. Uh, I was wondering, have <laughs> I, I like my diet, today? Dr. Pepper? I fucking. Jeez, dude. <laughs> Jeez. I'm so sorry. I I'm keep a, dragging this out, guys. No, it's good. Trying. It's good. I'm, dude. I'm a dorky it. ass programmer. Yeah, he's a poor. He's a programmer, dude. He's got the. Yeah. He's got programmer look. If you could see him, Scott, you would know. But we're I'm gonna, gonna watch the whole replay right now. We're gonna fix. We're gonna fix. We're gonna fix the uh, the the issue with our guests not being able to see us soon. Oh, that's good. Uh, for you guys that don't know, our guests come on the show. Don't see us. They only hear us. Uh, I've but, just been staring at a black dot this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably better for them. Let's it's probably bad. Yeah, it might be better for them. But no, uh, LBS has, has released collab cam so you can bring people right onto the stream now. Uh, but it's just kind of buggy. So I'm waiting for it to, them to fix the bugs mm. and then we'll get it going. Scott, I love you, man. Thank you so much for coming yeah. out. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Yep. Take it easy. Hey, yep. All right, guys. Another awesome episode of Breaks the Cycle. Thanks so much for hanging out with uh, with us, our good friend Scott. Of course, uh, that, that was a long, a little bit longer than what we normally do, but I, I, I'm not one to tell Scott he's got to stop talking ever. I mean, I could have went another two hours, but I know you guys got to get to bed. I got to go to work tomorrow and the kids need to go to sleep. So I, but I would, I would be more than happy to listen to Scott talk, read the whole book. You know what I mean? Just read the whole book, dude. I'm good. Uh, but we will have another show on Tuesday for you guys. Our good friend Toad from Tower Power Hour will be stopping by to see who can out autist who between him and Ryan. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Ryan, AJ, you guys got anything before we go? Uh, follow me on Twitter at BulldogGamer28. And since I didn't get a chance to do it at the start of the show, yep, can I get you guys to give me some yepcocks in the chat? Oh, I'm sorry, dude. Quick. I forgot. I got so I got so excited about having Scott on. I was like, yep fuck these guys, the dude. Chat. I don't need to even care. Yeah, no intros or nothing. <laughs> fuck. Sorry, dude. You got anything, AJ? Uh, I'm still Chinese balloon free. 
yeah. uh, unvaxxed and uncensored. And uh, you can find me at poison underscore tip. Wait, do you have Twitter. a social media account that is now called Chinese uh, Balloon Free? Oh, I should. No, it's yeah, a good should. idea. I don't, do. but I will. That's your shit now. Yep, I'll hook it up. Yeah, I think you should do that. Uh, yeah, that was the whole time we're talking about thermonuclear war. I'm thinking, you know, there was a time in my life where I was like, oh, dude, we got such good ballistic like missile defense here that I don't ever have to worry about that shit. Then I was like, and then it, all of a sudden a balloon flew into my life for three fucking days. And I'm like, no, oh, dude, we have really good nukes. It's just they'll land after you're dead. The nukes are no, I just us. mean like I've always been like, oh, we have great air defense here in yeah. the United States. I don't have to worry about it, right? And now I'm like 40, and like all of a sudden this damn Chinese fucking spy balloon floats into my country for yeah. three and days, nothing, and they do nothing. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's not that good, you know what I mean? Holy shit, dude, that's unfortunate to know. And then my saving grace is okay. Well, I live in the exact middle of the country. That's yes. it. That's our saving grace, no, dude. Then they overcorrect and shoot sidewinders at hobby balloons. Yeah, no shit, dude. Quest Fanning dropped a two dollars super chat with the yeah, the yep cock. Giving me the cock that I yep. so Thanks, so Quest. longingly. We desire. love you guys. <laughs> uh, for you for you guys that don't know, they there are some. Uh, that's that's a base king Nick uh, emoji. We're probably gonna switch up some emojis soon, but uh, we have you guys have custom emojis you can use in here if you become a, a member of the YouTube channel, which is always kind of cool, man. So uh, we appreciate you. I did see that we got a new member tonight, Mr. Matt Sickmeyer, who also gave us a $50 shout out. We really appreciate that, man. Uh, you guys know we're trying to build up a uh, a studio that brings guests in. So hopefully next time Scott comes on the show, we will fly him in here to talk about his new book after it's done. We don't want to bother him while he's do still working on his book. Uh, but I love you guys. We'll see you on Tuesday for the show with Toad. We'll have another good show for you on Thursday as well. Until then, don't forget to break the cycle. Yeah, I'm here, man. Due to legal reasons, I did not do his plan. The lyrics of my last song may seem to contain a violent call to action in the personal frame. But I just landed in Minecraft. The helicopter part was in reference to the GTA 5 and the things you do. So any violence you commit, I am not an excuse because I just landed in Minecraft. A chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold Accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just cool. landed yeah, in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft Nothing I mean, you know it Likewise, it's better Holy shit, I think I'm Oh